In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory to thee, O God. Glory to thee, Heavenly King, O Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things. O treasure of a good and bestower of life, come and dwell us and cleanse us from every stain and save our souls, O good one. Sit down. Sorcerers who deceive the world have multiplied, saying that their power comes from God. O Lord, prevent thy servants from falling into their snares, so that they will not become the playthings of the devil. That is from a canon to the Lord for a sick child, written by Elder Cleopa of Romania, who, as I've mentioned, passed away only a few years ago, and he was a great spiritual father of Romania. And he wrote a canon for that parents can do for a sick child. And someone, having heard these talks, the last few, noted this. So i read it again. This is what Elder Cleopa writes. He says, Sorcerers, magicians, all those people who deceive the world have multiplied, saying that their power comes from God. O Lord, prevent thy servants from falling into their snares, into their traps, so that they will not become the playthings of the devil. And I think that particular stiki, whatever what it's called, that section there, summarises all that we've been doing. And today, we're gonna, there's going to be an emphasis that these people actually believe that their, their power, some of them, or most of them, believe that their power comes from God or some other good power. Of course, there's those who worship the demons. That's another, they actually, that's another group. But these people don't say to people uh, we work with the devil, we are doing bad things. They say we're working with God. This is now the last talk in this, in this series. We've, we have already... Um, I started off with marriage, which was talks 54, 55, 56, 57. Then I went to 58, which was to do with marriage but to do with magic because a lot of marriages got those problems and 59, and then there was talk 60, which was last week, which I'm going to explain, last month, which I'm going to explain to you what that was for those that weren't here. Now, St Nicodemus, as we heard from the last talk, he says that Christians use many excuses to justify why they go to these places. Number one, they say, because we find healing for the illnesses that we suffer. And we know Greeks, Russians, Serbians, whoever, even uh, people don't, who aren't even Orthodox, that is true, that a lot of them run to whatever place we're going to see them in, all, all the different types. They go to these people because they say that they find healing. Many say, oh, I know someone that's been healed. 
My brother went and he was healed. He had depression, he went, he got better. Number two, another reason why they go is because they reveal to us hidden treasures or what's going to happen to us, what we're going to suffer, the future, the unknown. And this was covered in detail in the last talk. That was the talk before this one, talk 60. But I will summarise that talk in a minute. And number three, which may sound ridiculous, but they, another reason is they say because we fear demons as evildoers and haters of people, and for this reason we worship them through magic so as to lessen their evil. In other words, to make them happy, to pacify them so that they don't go against us. Now, some of you might find that very strange. to go, oh, I don't believe that, but the, the, the problem is that many do. There are many stupid people who actually say that the devil is stronger than God. I remember this Greek woman told me years ago, and I have never got out of my head. She said, um, Christ, even Christ was scared of the, of, the, uh, of the demons. It just has no um, end to people's uh, deception. That's what St. Nicodemus says. But I want to add a few things to it and make a little list of why people go. Now, the first group, when people have problems due to, as they call it, bad luck, or when, th or when they think that someone's done magic on them, or someone's cursed them, or someone's done the evil eye to them, and or there's problems between a couple, they're fighting continually, or they've got problems with their children, or they've got financial problems, or there's someone that's got alcohol problem, or, or gambling, or other addictions, or if they're having car accidents continue, or they're going to a court case. And there's all these reasons that people run to these places thinking that they're going to get help. As soon as something goes wrong, they believe that someone's done something to them. My children aren't going well at school. Someone's done the evil eye to them. I've got to go to someone to get that undone. My husband's changed. He's against me. There must be a reason for that. Maybe someone's done magic on him. We have to go to someone to undo it. Not to the church. They don't think of that. They've got to go to th these places and spend thousands of dollars. These people go for supposedly reasons that someone's done something or some bad luck in their life or something like that. The next group... Some people, as we mentioned in Talk 58, they actually go to these places because they want, they, they're interested in someone, so they ask the sorcerer, the person that does this stuff, to make that person to love them and so they can marry. And I gave many examples of that from fathers, even from Manathos and Lives of Saints, etc. So that is, a, that is true. Now, other people go so that their children... Uh, they want the children to be successful at school. Now, the first group was when their children aren't going well, whatever. This one now is that their children could be okay, but they want them to do really well. They want them to excel. Others, they, 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 they go to these places because they want to get a job. They've heard, oh, when someone went to some madame there that she actually helped and he got a job. So they run. Others, they got a job, but they want to excel. They want to, make, they want to get a big position, so they go for power. Even Hitler himself used magicians thinking that he's going to get power to win. He used to consult them all the time. To, uh, to make more money, 
to be more successful, in other words, to be more intelligent and strong in character. That's these psychic things where they, where they say, oh, we're going to go into your hidden strength within you. So you go to these places and all this, this power comes from the universe or from within you. And, you, and then you become whatever. They say, um, they say it's from God, or they say it's from the universe, or they even, some people even go to receive help from a spirit guide. They actually believe that there's these spirits that help them and guide them. That's the new age things. To interpret dreams. They see dreams, and they believe that they have to go and get their dream interpreted or they read books. Others go to communicate with the dead. Someone close to them has died, so they go. We know that because you're on the television and all over the place. It's medium, 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 medium. Every second show's about a medium. Now, there's another one a couple of years ago. It's called, it's American one, the Long Island Medium. A lady that, she's got blonde hair too, by the way, bleach blonde. So another blonde hair one with, with a lot of jewellery and she has got her own television show and she goes and speaks to people and people are on the ground crying and because she's telling them things about their, long, their, their dead people. There's those who try and have videos to contradict on the YouTube and they say she's a fraud, she's this, she's that, it's not true. And, but the thing is that, yes, she does guess a lot of things but she also gets a lot of things correct. And they don't understand, these people don't understand how to interpret it. How does she know these details? So either the show's a whole fraud, it's all made up, or these people are real, people that are in the audience or whatever, and she's telling them things. I believe that they do have powers, but they don't communicate with the dead. They communicate with someone else, which are demons. But they, and the demons tell them, but these poor people actually believe that they're communicating with their father. She had on one of the shows, she had um, a little boy, six years old, who lost his sister when he was four. And, he, and she was telling him all these things and, and the, the boy was in tears. and things. It's just amazing how people believe these things. Ask questions such as how many children are they going to have? And they believe it. It's dogma. I've heard people that have said, oh, when I went to the medium, she said, I'm going to have three children. Or I'm going to have two. Or, I'm going to have one. Should I divorce my spouse? I'm dealing with someone now who actually went to a medium and she told her that the husband that she's got now is no good. Get rid of him and go with the guy that, she's, that she likes. Which at the end, she lost the husband and the guy that the medium told her that's for you, she lost him as well. Should I marry my boyfriend, my present boyfriend, or should I marry my girlfriend? When will I die? People want to know all these things. The next group, it goes even worse. To do bad to someone. To make people sick because they hate them. To create marital problems. To cause a divorce. To create problems with a person's children. To create financial problems. Even to cause death. We know that there are those, if you read the, um, the lives of saints, but also the accounts of... Um, the orthodox missionaries who have gone to Africa, that those voodoo people and all those over there, they actually can kill people with their magic. Now, in the last talk, which we have called Exposing Psychics, Clairvoyance, 
mediums, fortune tellers and astrologers in the light of orthodoxy. I did that name, someone said it was very long, and I said I did that on purpose because you've got to grab people. Some people might go to psychics. As soon as they see the word psychics, they'll look at it. Or some people might have gone to a clairvoyant. Some people might have gone to a medium. Some might fortune teller. Some believe in astrologers. So you put them all in, and then that way everyone, everyone gets their attention, and they look, and they could actually get the talk and listen and learn. I think we should do a little bit of a summary of the last talk, then we'll go on to tonight's, which is about healing. Now, St. Nicodemus, as we, re- as we heard last time, he said, only God, it is only God who knows all things that are hidden and has foreknowledge of the future. Angels and men sometimes have no hidden things, though not of themselves, but from revelation and illumination of divine light. In other words, not even the angels know the future. The angels didn't even know that God was to become man, that the second person of the Holy Trinity, the Son, became man. They didn't know that until it happened. So angels, the saints, do not know the future. And if they don't know the future unless God enlightens them to know, how much more those who are demonic people who think they know the future? But, you, but remember that some of you might say, but I know someone who went, or I went, and they told me something and it happened. Well, we're coming to that. Now, people turn to sorcerers and demons because when you go to a sorcerer, it's the same as going to the demons themselves. It's the same thing. Now, people go to these places in order to learn the future, to even find, as I mentioned in the last talk, treasures like something hidden, things like that. But if they could find treasures, as I mentioned, they would be the richest. But instead, you see them at the shopping centres on a little chair with backaches because they're there. They can always go to the massage people down further down. They're there charging $20, $30 with their crystal balls. But yet, people go, this is how dopey, people go to find out where there's certain treasures or what's the lottery ticket or what's going to win. But they would be the richest, St John Chrysostom says, but they're not. Now, some of them are good con artists and they've actually, they have made a lot of money. One woman actually, uh, there was a, a case in America where a boy got kidnapped at young, very young age and this uh, witch came onto the television show, some show, and the parents of the boy was there, and she was talking, she was going to use her powers to find out what happened to the boy. And the parents shouldn't have gone, but, but, but they didn't know. You see, these people don't know. But when Orthodox go, that's really bad. Because Orthodox should know better, because we have all the teachings to do with that. These people, a lot of times, they don't have the teachings, the proper teachings. Anyway, these people went in ignorance, they were desperate, they, they didn't know where their boy was, was he alive, was he dead? He was only about 12 or 13, when he, I think, when he was kidnapped. And uh, she told them in front, of, in front of the whole of American television, and she told them that the boy's dead. The name of the boy was Sean Hornbeck. So he actually was kidnapped, and she said, 
It was a guy with dreadlocks. It was a Latin American type of guy. It was this, this, this. And later on, years later, they found the boy who was kidnapped by an, an American guy who didn't have any dreadlocks. And, um, and the boy was alive. They've, the others have said that the person's dead, sorry, alive. Another woman, maybe it was the same one, she said about someone else's child that was kidnapped, goes, she's alive. She's been taken to Japan and she's a slave there. But they found the body of the girl in a field. It's gone so bad that even the police use them. Because they might get one small thing. One person said, I can see that the person is near water. The only place where there's no water is the desert. If they're in the desert, they'll be dead anyway. So everywhere there's water. So people go to these places to reveal the unknown, the desire to learn the future and the unknown is forbidden by God. As we're going to, I'm going to read you some things from the Old Testament, New Testament. It's forbidden. Now, some of you might say, but there's prophecies written. Some of the saints made prophecies, or even Christ himself made prophecies. Yes, they are very exceptional sometimes, and even those, people never understood them until it happened, which confirmed that, for example, God prophesied of the Old Testament. There's a lot of prophecies in the Old Testament. When it happened, it just confirmed that that was correct. When a saint gives a prophecy, later on, when that happens, when he's died or she has died, it only confirms that that person's a saint. But it doesn't mean that these people are giving these prophecies continually. It's, it's rare. I've, I've met so many holy people in my time. I've gone to Serbia, I've gone to Greece. None of them ever told me a prophecy. No one ever told me anything secret about myself. But we read sometimes, all the Paisios and other elders, they did reveal certain things, exceptional for certain reasons, to bring fear into the person, to help the person repent. When these people do all these prophecies, all these things that they reveal, it's only to give them more money to make, to make to, for um, a show, all different reasons. That's not the right reason. Whatever method is used by people to learn the future and the unknown is considered as magic. There are some things that are available in the church. Example, finding a lost item. We went through that. There are prayers. If you've lost some, something or you've lost someone, there are prayers that you, we, we, we pray to the saints, to God, to help. But you don't go to magicians. We might also find in the history of the church on very rare occasions some true revelations regarding the future. Even the book of Revelation, which is the last book in the Bible, there are so many prophecies in there. And yet, how many saints have touched them? How many saints have interpreted them? Why are they there for? And sometimes with some saints have revealed to people the condition of their loved ones in the next life. In other words, have they been saved? Are they in need of prayers, etc.? Some 
have, have given us dreams that they had and things like that. We read that in the lives of saints. Very rare, but they were holy. And, as I said, in some prophecies. In general, Orthodox Christians are to not have any involvement with those things. That's why the saints themselves say, have, have said, saints, that they say, God, I don't want to see a dream. I don't want to see a vision. I don't want to prophesy. I don't want to do miracles. I don't want any of those things. Why? Because I'm scared I could fall into deception. What's the point? Many, many, Christ said, will do miracles in my name, but I will say to them on the last day, I do not know you. So that's not the important thing. What's the important thing is faith in God, humility, repentance, etc. And that's why these things are there, to help people come to repentance. So when, for example, some people, as we read in Talk 2021, 20, the clairvoyant elder, Elder Porphyrios, who's now been canonised, we read in there that when he, some people would go to him, he would reveal things to them, and that would help that person come to the truth, repent and change their lives. When people go to these magicians and of these sorcerers and mediums, do they change their lives? No. Actually, what happens is that they actually distance themselves more from God. The more people go to those places, the more they become distant from God and the church. Now, Galatians, which St. Paul wrote, it says the acts of the flesh are obvious, adultery, fornication, impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft. In other words, sorcery. I warn you, as I warned you before, that people who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Straight out. And in the Old Testament, Levit um, Leviticus, do not practice divination or tell fortunes, do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. And I defined last time, what is divination? Because some of you don't know. The definition of divination is the practice of seeking knowledge of the future or the unknown by supernatural means. You see, saints, yes, sometimes they did reveal, reveal the future. Sometimes they reveal the unknown through God's power. These people, they reveal it through supernatural means. And the Orthodox Church teaches us that these supernatural means are with the help of the demons. That's why God forbids divination. Now, in Deuteronomy, another part of the another book of the Old Testament, again, it says, Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or tells fortunes, interprets omens, which I'll explain in a minute, who practice witchcraft or cast spells, or who is a medium or a spiritist, or who consults the dead, anyone who does these things is an abomination to the Lord. When I, last time, then the last talk, actually when I read these, I, I said to the people that were present, it's like the, 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 these things were written over three, 4,000 years ago. It's like they were written for today. It, they actually mention everything there, fortune tellers, Omens, witchcraft, divination, mediums, consulting the dead. It's the whole parcel of then. It's the same problem there because the demons are the same. Now, what's an omen? I didn't explain it last time properly. I'll explain it to you again. An omen is something that is believed to be a sign or warning of something that will happen in the future. 
This can be a good omen or it can be a bad omen. Omens may be considered either good or bad depending on their interpretation. Now, an omen is when someone sees a sign or something happens and they go, okay, from that, that means I'm going to have good luck or that means something bad's going to happen. They're called omens. Some people, some, like in one country, a certain sign can be considered good luck. But in another country, the same sign can be considered bad luck, which shows you how silly it is. Now, St. Nicodemus writes on this, Brothers and sisters, lay aside these excuses that the devil suggests to you to worship him through magic spells and cease from now on, stop, in other words, from believing that magicians and demons have the ability to heal you or foreknowledge of what's going to happen to you. Cease from believing that there are good and bad omens, because that's magic as well. See, some of you might say, but I didn't go to a magician, but I do believe if I see a cow, I'm going to have bad luck. That's magic. It's, just, it's, it's the same. So cease from believing that there are good and bad omens or good and bad days or good and bad encounters. And then St. Nicodemus continues where he says, what is the matter with you, O foolish man? Now some of you that are politically correct will say, how does a saint speak like that? How does he call a person foolish? Because today we're not allowed to say anything like that. We have to be all politically correct. We have to be nice, speak properly. And I'm going to come to that soon because right through this talk, the saints say worse than that. If you meet, he says, if you meet an unmarried young woman or a virgin or a monk, you say that the day is unlucky. Now, in Greece, I don't know about Russia, but in Greece, there are silly people who actually believe that if they see a priest one walking past them, on a day, that means they're going to have bad luck. And then they've got to do some type of ritual, some type of spitting or other things that they do, hand gestures to the priest so that they won't be having bad luck. Now, there are others who say that when you, here, when you meet a virgin, now I don't know where that one came from, that you're going to have bad luck. It must have been in his days. You say that a day is unlucky if you meet these people, Whereas, if you come across a harlot, a prostitute, a blind man or a cripple, you divine that it is a good encounter. I like the word when it says you divine, meaning you act as some type of uh, something where your mind is being inspired and you're, being, and, and, and you're thinking to yourself, that's bad, that's good. That's no good. Yeah, if I, if I see that person, that's bad luck. And that is actually, that's why it says you divine. That that means that that's a good encounter. So if you meet a prostitute on the day, that's, that's a good encounter. Now you might say that those things are, but people do believe those things. It's a big problem in Greece of what the priests go through. Oh, your ignorance says the saint. Hear what the divine Chrysostom tells you. This is, now he's going to quote St. John Chrysostom because the saint mentions him quite right. right. He says, 
that it is not meeting such and such a person that makes your day bad, but the fact that you live in sins, that's what makes your day bad. See, I had an email, someone wrote to me and said, my relative is mentally ill. Someone did magic on them. So I had to write back and I said, but how do you know? Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's sins. Have the pers- has the person ever confessed? Did, some- did he go to a magician? Did your relatives go for him to a magician? Which brings all these things to make the person worse? Thus, when you leave your house, guard yourself only, says St. John Christum, against sin. And do not fear even the devil himself. Now let's look at St. John, he paraphrased, St. Nicodemus paraphrased, but let's hear St. John Christum's exact words. For meeting a man does not make that day turn out badly, but living in sin. When you go out, then beware of one thing, that sin does not meet you. Don't commit sin. For this is what trips us up. In other words, he's trying to say sin is the cause of problems in our lives. Without this, the devil will be unable to do us any harm. So in other words, don't be scared of him. St. Nicodemus continues, you meet a person and you make predictions. Does it not occur to you, you wretch? Wretch, I don't know if you know what wretch means, you off person that the devil is trying to make you hate your brother who has done you no evil. And if God commands you to love also your enemies and you hate that man who has done you no wrong, why do you say that it was a bad meeting and what forgiveness will you receive from God? So what happens is this. It happens to a lot of us. This is what I mentioned in the last talk. We can actually be mediums without even realising it. So, we're, we're, we have a thought, whether we're at work, or whether we're at school, or whether we are in the shopping center, or whatever, or at church, and we have a thought, that person's against us. That person has bad thoughts against us. That person doesn't like us. That person's talking about us behind our back. We've no proof. And we believe it. We are convinced. At that moment, we are actually acting as mediums. In other words, it's the, dea, it's the demons themselves which are inspiring us. They're telling us these things so that we can have a fight with that person to hate that person. When there's no proof. And even if there's proof that the person doesn't like us, real proof, not in our fantasia, in our fantasy, but if there's real proof, we are, we are called by God to forgive and pray. But no, the demons don't tell us that. All they tell us is that person's got thoughts against you, that person, and that we all do. The more we're convinced that this is true, the more we are acting as mediums, the more we are being that the devil has got a lot of control over our minds that is telling us these things and we believe it. can always tell a person how progressed they are. We all have thoughts. doesn't matter. Okay, we have a thought. That person's against me. 
The saints had those thoughts. So we're not going to not have them. The devil throws thoughts like that to the saints as if they're not going to throw it to us. Just in case it grabs. But the point is that when someone tells us, for example, that's not even true, or no, because that person speaks good about you, they go, no, 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 I know, I know, I know, I know, it's there. That person's ready for what's what we call psychosis, schizophrenia. Because that's what schizophrenics, I'm not making fun of them, by the way. Schizophrenics, they believe their thoughts. That's it. You, can, you never argue with a schizophrenic. Now, some schizophrenic is biological. It's like it's actually from some uh, physical problem. But some schizophrenia comes because of uh, pride, self-trust, and demonic reasons as well. You see a man and regard him as an omen, says St. John Chrysostom. Do you not see the trap of the devil, how he sets you at war with him who has done you no wrong? And whereas God has commanded you, commanded us to love enemies, you hate one who has not wronged you in any way, having no accusation make against him. Now, examples of omens. Finding a coin on the street, some believe that that's a, sign, that that's a good sign. It's good luck if you find a penny or find a coin back, whatever. What's now? Five cents is the minimum. So if you find five cents, at least five cents, you're going to have a good day. That's what, they, that's what people believe, some people. A dog following you home is a good sign. For me, it's a bad sign because <laughs> I don't like dogs. I'm allergic to them. So to me, it's a bad sign. Does that mean it's a bad omen? No. It's just that but just my unfortunate situation that they just decided to follow me home that day. But for other people, it's a good sign. A dog howling. My father actually told me this one when I was young. When his mother was dying, yeah, she was here in Australia, when, 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 when his mother was dying, the dog across the road was howling. And he told me when I was young, that's a sign that someone's going to die. Now, not being in the church, he said that, which is wrong. I didn't know any better. I believed it. I didn't know. But that's magic. That's not allowed. The devil can make a dog howl, maybe, to make people believe it. Just like when there's a full moon, the devil makes people go crazy. We mentioned that last time. The saints interpret that. That's why they're called um, lunatics, from the word lunar, from moon. The devil wants us to believe that the moon makes people crazy. So if the moon, then Jupiter, then Mars, and then all these things of astrology. Comets have also been considered to be both good and bad omens. You know the comet, like Halley's Comet? And the best known example of pro is probably Halley's Comet, which was, for King Harold II of England, was a bad omen, and for William the Conqueror was a good omen because both of them saw the comment and they were going to go to fight. So for one, it turned out good because they won the war and for the other one, it turned out to be a bad omen because they lost the war. So the same thing happens and for some it's good, for some it's bad, which shows you how stupid it is. And the last one, uh, just one example, is the in interpreting the flight of birds. 
people look at whether they are flying in groups or alone. There's actually the pagans used to have someone who used to study specifically these things. And people used to go to them. And they wouldn't make any decisions unless they used to go to these people who would interpret these things. And there are people still today who actually do have the same problem. People look at whether they are flying in groups or alone, what noises they make as they fly, the direction of flight, and what kind of birds they are. So that's what they actually do in the interpret. And from that, they work out whether they're going to do a certain business, whether they're going to travel, what that is. is it a good thing, a bad thing, whatever. They didn't, of course, I don't know if they actually interpret if the, if the bird does drop-ins, what, how do they interpret that, apart that they have to have a shower. So we go on to the next one. Before I go on, because I said to you, I, wanna, I, I promised I'm going to explain to you the thing about this thing about foolish, wretched. How do the saints speak like that? Now, there are some people who are in the church, including clergy, who want to make up a type of church which is weak, make the priests weak with no authority. In Matthew chapter 5, line 22, Christ says, but I say to you that whosoever is angry with his brother or sister, in other words, without a cause, shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother or sister, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. See, and some people look at that and they go, see, there it is. You're not allowed to call anyone a fool. You're not allowed to say anything that's bad. Because look what it says here. If you call someone you, a fool, you shall be in danger of hellfire. And Christ himself said that. And yet, and yet, I'm going to read to you later on. Christ himself used the word fool. He said, you fool tonight, your soul will be required of you. Now, of course, some will say for that, that's God. Now, I saw that, I read that in the, in the Gospels. Do we interpret it ourselves? No, unless you're Protestant. If you are Orthodox, you don't interpret anything of your own. Let's read what the saints, how the saints interpret, because what we look at, the way we look at that could be obvious that it means something, but it might not be, because we don't have that insight. So let's look how the church interprets that, that particular line. Blessed Theophilact writes, who he, he interprets the gospel, he uses especially the writings of St. John Chrysostom. Blessed Theophilact writes, He who is angry with his brother or sister without good cause, brother means fellow person, doesn't mean your real brother, just an, an, another person. He who is angry with his brother or sister in Christ, without good cause, is condemned. You see, people miss out the point there, conveniently, where Christ says, if you are angry with, with your brother, so without a cause, and St. Theophilac says, good cause is condemned. For if anyone should get angry for good reason, either by way of chastisement or out of spiritual zeal, he is not condemned. What does chastisement mean? If you are getting angry for a proper reason, for spiritual reasons, 
in a way to, to, to discipline someone, to correct someone, this is not condemned. For even Paul spoke words of anger to Elimus, the magician, I think it's in the Acts, and to the high priest, not without good cause. He did it with good cause where he was actually strong with those people and, was, and, and called them names. But out of zeal he did it. But when we get angry over money or opinions or an argument, then it is without cause. It's out without good cause. Raka means, since we're asked the question, something like, hey you. As when we say to someone whom we scorn, hey you, scum. Hey you, get out of here. Some say that Raka is a, is a Syriac word for despicable or scum. Off. Hey you, you, you're off or whatever. Therefore, he who hurls insults destroys all the virtues by tearing love to shreds and rightly does he deserve the fire of hell. So when you're speaking to someone in that way, even if the word's not a swear word, but even by the way you look at the person, by looking at them up and down as if to say, to me, you're nothing. To me, you are worthless. You are a, you're, you're scum, whatever it says here. And that's for, for no good cause then, yes, you are deserving of the hellfire. So when we get the correct interpretation, we can understand. So we've got these people who say to the priests, you can't say anything. You can't get upset. You can't get angry. You can't correct someone. You can't, have, you can't be, ups, you know, like angry. But the fathers of the church say, be angry but don't sin. Well, how can you be angry and not sin? Because there's anger which isn't sin. Like a parent who's angry with their child because the child has done something wrong and he can see that the child's gone on the wrong path. That person has the right to be angry. But if the child just done something small and you're getting angry and you're smacking the child for small reasons, then that's not, you don't have that right where Christ himself said, you can't call someone fool, but just now we read, but in Luke 12, 20, but God said to him, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you, then whose will those things be which you have provided? And another part, Luke eleven forty, he said to the people, you foolish people. So he can't contradict himself. And another part, which is quite harsh, he says in Matthew 23, lines 25 to 28, Woe to you, scribes, scribes is teachers of the law, like what we say today, maybe a theologian or something. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but in the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything, is un and everything unclean. So he says to the Pharisees, you're like a grave. The grave can look beautiful, marble or whitewashed, but inside it's full of 
filthy bones. And that's what he's saying, Christ is saying to them is, that's how you are. You look spiritual on the outside. You look pious on the outside. But you're full of every filth. And what, what filth is he speaking about? It says, well, he explains it. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, as holy, in other words, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. God hates nothing more than those who believe in him properly, like the Orthodox, and are hypocrites. That's the worst. That's, that's worse than a pagan who doesn't know anything. See, that's for good reason. He got angry for good reason. He wasn't just saying with a soft voice, woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Bang, exclamation mark, meaning he said it strongly. And we see in the history of the church that the saints continued that line. When it's to do with hypocrisy, when it's to do with heresy, when it's to do with something wrong, then the priest the bishop has the right to censure the people. Today, this politically correct thing where you've got priests, where they just do their sermons, they stand there, they don't speak, is an abomination. That's wrong. Just in case they offend someone. Can't say anything today because you're going to offend someone. St. Nicodemus writes, do you know why sometimes the demons foretell things and actually happen? Now I'm going to answer that question we said before. This was covered in the last talk. And he gives two reasons. Why, when someone goes to these places, why is it that the, that this, that the medium or someone can say something's going to happen and it happens? And we know that that does happen. Sometimes it's a guess, but sometimes it's real. That they do know, but how do they know? When we just read earlier on uh, that the saints say that they don't know the future, then how do they know the future then? How do they say it? You go, you're going to have an accident. You have an accident. Or something else is going to happen. Your child, some, your child's going to get sick, and it happens. How do they know? If they don't, so if, if we read that they, don't, they shouldn't know the future. Well, he said here, St. Nicholas says, because you do not believe wholeheartedly in the Lord, but believe in demons, on account of your unbelief, God permits those things to occur which they foretell to you. When someone goes to one of those people, psychic clairvoyant, to find out the future with faith, they go with faith that these people know, then God, out of, because of your unbelief, God permits those things to occur which they foretell to you. And then it even says, and when these things come true, you believe them even more and you worship them and give more money to them. He got that right. So I'll go and get, I'll give more money to get more, to get more information. And number two, because you are slaves to the devil, loving his diabolical works and passions, and he has you for this reason under his control, whatever he wishes to foretell to you, he does through deeds. Now, I tried to explain this last time, and I noticed that some people, when I asked them later on, they got a bit confused. And 
it means this. When a person's not leading a Christian life, when a person is living a life of sin, as Saint Paisio said, this gives authority to the demons to control that person's life. Christians, the more they struggle, they free themselves from demonic influence. And a person who doesn't struggle, a person who doesn't confess, doesn't pray, doesn't care, or things like that, that person more and more and more is under the control of demonic spirits. And what St. Nicholas is explaining here is that if the devil has you under his control to a, lot, to, to a large extent, then he's only predicting something that he's going to make you do. So we say, oh, that person, all of a sudden, he killed someone. How did he do it? And the person themselves says, I don't even know how I did it. I didn't, didn't want to do it. Something made me do it. Or a person might say, I don't know why I went that way and I shouldn't have gone that way. Something made me go that way and I had an accident. In other words, when you go to these creatures that tell you these things, which I hope you don't do, but when people do go to them, the more sinful the person is and the more the demons have control, so that person, the devil will tell the medium, tell them that they're going to have an accident in three days' time. So the person in three days' time has an accident because he's got control of that person's life. St. Nicodemus says, demons have no power either to predict or do anything to a Christian who has firm faith in the Lord and keeps his commandments. So a Christian who struggles to keep the commandments, doesn't matter if we fail, we fail but we repent. That makes up for it. So as long as we're struggling, if we fall, and as long as we repent, confess, keep on going, keep on going, then he says here that the devil has no power over those people and they cannot predict the future because they can't make them do something. And St. John Christum explains that beautifully where he actually makes a challenge in his, in his church back in those days. He says, if they have any ability to predict the future these mediums and all that, bring them to me, a believer, and I do not say this to boast of myself since it's not a matter of boasting when one wants to rid himself of these fakers and deceivers. I also am full of sins, but with respect to these matters, I will not be humble-minded. I'm not going to act humble while people are being lost, he said. Because, yes, to tell someone off is not humble unless you're telling someone off for good reason. So we don't say, I'm not going to tell that person off because I'm humble and just sit like that. I'm humble. The father say to keep your mouth shut. doesn't matter if I see my brothers going the bad road. They go, like I got to be silent like the ascetics were. But you're not an ascetic. You don't live in the desert. You live in the city. You live amongst people. See, people get mixed up. That's why St. Jesus Christ says, I'm your bishop. I'm your patriarch. I have to speak up. 
And he says, by the grace of God, I mock them all. He says, I make fun of all of them. They're all, to me, they're idiots. Bring me this magician. If he has any ability to predict the future, let him tell me what will happen to me tomorrow. Like he tells the people that go to him or her. But he will not be able to tell me my future. Why? Because I am under the power of the king. I'm under God's authority. And the magician does not have my submission and loyalty. In other words, put in my own words there, magicians and the devil only have control of our lives when we are sinning and don't repent and don't care and don't struggle. Then they can predict the future. Because not that they know it, they arrange it. You're going to meet a, per, a woman can go and the woman and the woman goes and the and the magician says you're going to meet a person with blonde hair, for example. Doesn't matter if the woman's Russian and most Russians most Russian men have got blonde hair. But anyway, so she goes to this magician, and they says that, and then she meets someone a few days later with blonde hair. How does that happen? Easy. He just steers them. She's there, he's there, bring them to Claire. I mean, we, we know what the saints teach us, that the demons can make us like someone, can make us be attracted to someone. So he just does his job there, and then all of a sudden the person goes, she told me that this was going to happen. That's why Saint Nicole, Saint, um, John Christum says, but they can't do that for Christians. They can't arrange these things, and therefore they can't predict the future. Let us not pay attention to diviners, fortune tellers and frauds, but rather to God, who knows all things clearly, who has knowledge of all things. Thus shall we know all that we need to know. God, if he wants us to know something, he'll tell us. That's why he doesn't even tell us when we're going to die. Why? Why would he tell us? Because He doesn't even tell us when he's going to come. Because once we know that, then we just say, okay, I'm going to die when I'm 60. I've got a revelation, I'm going to die when I'm 60. So I'll live it up. And when I'm, five, when I'm 59 and 11 months and 29 days, whatever it is, depending on the month, maybe 30, uh, I'll repent. That's the whole point, that no one knows when they're going to die. But of course, some saints were told when they were going to die, very rare, and of course they used that time for their repentance more and things like that, and that didn't, they didn't live it up, as we say. So, I just summarised, I just went through the reasons why people go to these places, and I also am... I also summarised a bit of the last talk, but I went into much more detail. That talk took four hours. Tonight's talk is going to be specifically on healing now, which was, which was, which was one of the other reasons that St. Nicodem was said that people go to these places. This is very important. I think I will name the talk, perhaps, I'll see how it goes, but physical, mental and spiritual healing inside and outside the Orthodox Church. Because there's healing in the church, there's healing outside the church. There's healing outside the church from doctors, but there's also healing outside the church, supposed healing from occult things, new age things. 
Elder Cleopat teaches the following. Let us make it clear that devils have no power whatsoever to heal someone. They can never work genuine miracles, but it is only through illusions that they deceive the unfaithful and the ones of weak faith. Now, of course, I'm not going to question Elder Cleopat, but I'm going to make a question um, like just for, uh, for just to make it what, I'm, what my point is, and that is that Saint Cleop, Elder Cleopas says that they can't heal. Just like we heard the, the, in the beginning of the talk when I said, the devil and the sorcerers do not know the future. Only God knows. Now we go another statement. The devil and those sorcerers do, cannot heal. Now this is a problem because there are people who swear black and blue that they've been cured or they know others that have been cured by psychics, mediums, healers, or by other, some new age healing method. And I'm going to go through some of these methods so that you can see. Now, you might say, what's it got to do with us? Because they're everywhere. Remember the story I told you last time? I went to the dentist. And, the, and I said to him, I've got pain here. And the pain's going down to my chest. I don't know, the whole thing was all, all um, uh, tight. And he says, you need to go to a physiotherapist. So I go to a physiotherapist, recognised medical person there. So I go to the physiotherapist. And she does some physiotherapy things. But later on, I, I, um, I didn't even notice what was going on because I was falling asleep on the uh, table. But a person that came with me was noticing that she was standing over me. She wasn't even touching me. A lot of times she was doing this. A, physio, a registered physiotherapist was doing this. When I would go back to the monastery after those visits, I'd become very aggressive. I thought maybe I'm tired. Maybe it's my sickness. Could be medication sometimes. You know, some medications and blood pressure. It could be anything. These medications, they can make you do anything. I didn't know. But then this person finally said to me that was with me, he goes, do you know that she stands over you and does that? And then it began to click. She was a physiotherapist forward slash witch. It can be anywhere. That's why you people need to know. You need to know for yourselves and you need to know for your loved ones to warn. Number one, crystal healing. There's some method that they say that when you put crystals on someone, that, they, that, that, that has powerful healing. This is a form of magic. So put, uh, put crystals and they believe that you get healed. Number two, medita meditation. Now, meditation, they say that it gives you physical and mental healing, spiritual enlightenment when you meditate. Therapeutic touch is a form of psychic healing, which is what she was doing. Sometimes she would touch. Sometimes she put her hand up, oh, touch. Right? It's an easy hundred bucks, whatever she got. She touch. What's that? If she was maybe making, um, driving her finger into my muscle, maybe I can understand. Drive it there. Oh, I feel loose. I feel that that's actually doing something. When she just goes like that, yeah, I know it hurts, I know, that's right, it does, it hurts. But why are you pointing for? Like that, or like that. 
Yoga is its teachings originate from the Eastern religions, from Eastern religions, all of which teach that self is God. That self is God, that God is in you, that self, that you, you're God. Homeopathy, it claims, to work by correcting an imbalance or problem in the body's vital force. Once you hear forces and the force and that similar to Star Wars right? or, or life energy that is currently or will later be manifested as disease. So these people believe that your forces or something in you, uh, there's an imbalance there. And by taking this homeopathy stuff, which they, by the way, they shake and they, they even say things, they do prayers and all that, that's not just medication. That something's not right there. It says here the principle of vital force relied on in homeopathy is clearly similar to that of Eastern religions and New Age philosophies. Channeling, which is probably what that physio person was doing. Channeling occurs when someone permits a spirit entity to possess him or her for New Age healing purposes, such as developing psychic powers. Hypnosis. Some people go, no, you know, someone said I can go for hypnosis to stop smoking or go for hypnosis for mental problems or whatever. Hypnosis involves the transfer of control away from ourselves to another person. We don't do that. That's what, well, Christians don't do that. We have to be in control. Hypno, hip, hypnotism is often promoted as a simple way of refocusing ourselves and finding the answer within us. See? And as believers in Christ, our focus is to be on our saviour, not on ourselves or anyone else. We know that the answer do not lie within us. The, the solution we need, of course, is Christ. But they say the answer's within the vital force and all these things. Many of the techniques used in hypnosis are shared by mystical, philosophical and religious systems, including the occult. The father of hypnotism, Franz, Franz Anton Mesmer, from whose name we get the word mesmerise, if you all of us know, when you say, oh, he's mesmerised, means that he's under a trance. That comes from him. He was the one that developed this, this, this type of thing. Was himself a practitioner of the occult. His method of inducing a trance, was the, the way that he made someone go into a trance, was very similar to the way a medium conducts a seance. So when, when people go to a seance to communicate with the dead and the medium does certain techniques so she can go into her trance, it's similar to the way that these, that these hypnotists make people go into trances. His method, yes, it says here, hypnotism, along with yoga and transcendental meditation, has always been linked to spiritual darkness. Hypnotism, yoga, and other forms of meditation is gaining some recognition in the medical world, in hospitals, for example, and doctors. They go, oh, yeah, go and do some yoga and this. So it's actually getting more and more of a, of, of a uh, credibility. Now, number eight, which is, I've heard this from two people, and I think it's popular, is this Reiki. Now, Reiki is where people get healed by someone laying on hands. Maybe she was a Reiki as well. 
Some people believe that this practice is the same as when Christ and the apostles laid their hands on someone to heal them. Completely different. Completely. Completely. When the saints do it, when a priest reads a prayer, that's different to when they do it. Now, the Catholic Church... Now, you might say, why are you reading things from the Catholic Church? Are you an ecumenist? Uh, no. But they studied the, the matter. I'm not going to give any of their spiritual conclusions. I'm just going to give their investigations. In March 2009, the Committee on Doctrine of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops issued a decree, and it was called Guidelines for Evaluating Reiki as an Alternative Therapy, and they said they, the stop in the practice of Reiki by Catholics used in some Catholic retreat centres and hospitals. They were using it, and then they stopped it. And then they went into the history of it. Reiki, where people... One, one woman told me she went to a... What was it? Like a health resort. She went there and she was offered Reiki massage. And also, if she want, for a little bit extra money, she could have had her, card, her tarot cards read too. So all these things are all connected. You can go to a herbalist. Herbs are good, yes. Yeah, some herbs are good for you. Greeks and all the Russians, all used herbs. Nothing. But the thing is, when you go to these places... They're not just using chamomile or some other herb, but mixed with all that is other rubbish. Reiki is a technique of healing that was invented in Japan in the late 1800s by some guy, Mikio, you see, whatever, who was studying Buddhist texts at the time. According to Reiki teaching, illness is caused by some kind of, here we go, disruption or imbalance in one's life energy. When you hear those vital energies and this life force and things like that, you know that something's not right. You don't hear these words in orthodox literature. A Reiki practitioner affects healing by placing his or her hands in a certain position on the patient's body in order to facilitate the flow of Reiki. The universe, here we go, another word, universal life energy. Can't stand those words. From the Reiki practitioner to the patient. So this Reiki person supposedly then gives off some type of, um, what is it, what do they call it? Universal life energy onto this patient. They claim that, the, that this activates the natural healing processes of the patient's body and restores physical and emotional well-being. So you've got mental problems, physical problems, whatever, you go to these people and it corrects the imbalance. There are numerous designated hand positions for addressing different problems. For some people you put the hand there, other people like that or whatever. Reiki proponents assert that the practitioner is not the source of the healing energy but merely a channel for it. So, the, so they're not the ones who are healing, but this vital force goes through them. Like the priest. The priest is not healing, but God's grace through the priest heals. But there's a difference, obviously. And it says here, uh, to become a Reiki practitioner, one must receive an initiation or attunement, not a car, not a cartoon, but you've got to go to another Reiki master who then will attune you. 
This ceremony, it's a ceremony, just like when a priest gets ordained, but they've got ceremonies as well, very interesting. This ceremony makes one attuned to the universal life energy and enables one to serve as a conduit for it. You know what a conduit is? Conduit is like the pipes, water pipes, electrical, where the electricity goes, put the wires through, as my brother-in-law taught me, but there's also the, the, the water, conduits. So they become like a pipe where the, it flows. At the higher levels, one can allegedly channel Reiki energy and affect healings at a distance without physical contact. So they can, the ones that are really progressed can do it from far away, like that, from far away. Although Reiki proponents seem to agree that Reiki does not represent a religion of its own, even though they've got ceremonies, which is ridiculous, but anyway, but a technique that may be utilised by people from, a, from many religious traditions. So you don't have to be a Christian to do it. You can be a Buddhist, you can be an atheist, you can be whatever. It does have several aspects of religion. Reiki is frequently described as a spiritual kind of healing, as opposed to the common medical procedures of healing using physical means. So they don't have, it's not medical, it's spiritual. Much of the literature on Reiki is filled with references to God, the goddess, the divine healing power, and the divine mind. See, they even put the goddess to make the feminists happy. So you've got, let's go through them again, references to God to make those who, who believe in God. Um, then we've got those who believe in God but they're feminists, so we have to have the goddess. Then we've got the divine healing power and we've got the divine mind, just in case they're Hare Krishna or something. The life force energy is described as being directed by God or the higher intelligence or the divine consciousness. That word divine consciousness is all to do with Eastern religions. But, okay. And yet people can go somewhere and they can be offered this Reiki there for $30, $40, not realising that they're actually having, uh, they're being channeled in, well, the other person's channeling evil spirits. Likewise, the various attunements which the Reiki practitioner receives from a Reiki master are accomplished through sacred ceremonies, we said that, that involve the manifestation and contemplation of certain sacred symbols which have traditionally been kept secret. That's another thing. Nothing's secret in the Orthodox Church. Everything is open. But with them, it's the secret, like these idiot women who believe that they can do, uh, they can do the evil eye, some Greeks. And they say they, can, they know how to do it, they get the oil, they put the water, and if this and all that, and then they have to pass it on to someone else. But it's a secret. This is the same thing. The Reiki masters have a secret and they pass it on to someone else that so they can do it. As soon as you hear the word secrets, then you know... There's something wrong. And the other thing, life forces and all that. Furthermore, Reiki is frequently described as a way of living with a list of five Reiki precepts stipulating proper ethical conduct. So, so much not real. They even tell people how to live. Like Christianity has commandments. They've got their commandments. And the conclusion of this report says that since Reiki therapy is not compatible with either Christian teaching or scientific evidence, so it can't be scientifically based, and they, they're saying, the Catholics are saying, 
that it's not Christian-based, which I agree that, that that's correct. It would be inappropriate for Catholic institutions such as Catholic health care facilities, retreat centres or persons representing the Catholic Church, such as um, chaplains and things, to promote or to provide support for Reiki therapy. So they stopped it. The American Cancer Society website actually spoke about it and said that, that from there they said the American Cancer Society has noted that the research surrounding Reiki has been, has been poorly conduct, conducted and stated, quote, available scientific evidence at the time does not support claims that Reiki can help treat cancer or any other illnesses. More study may help determine to what extent, if at all, it can improve a patient's sense of well-being, not not um, healing. Well-being means, like what we say, that a person thinks they're better so they can feel better. And another, and another website said, and I like this one, I'm going to end now on this section, and we'll have a break. Therapy itself need not involve the occult. Not all alternative medicines and things, massages or other things like that, herbs and herbalists, they don't all involve the occult demonic things. But let me now, this, this is christianmedicalfellowship.org.uk. Therapy itself need not involve the occult, but let me now emphasise the most important warning. While therapy might not involve the occult, the therapist might. See, physiotherapy is not an occult practice. But the witch that I went to, she was mixing it up. As with most, if not all, alternative practices, the question is not so much about the nature of the therapy. I don't agree with this because a lot of that stuff is demonic. But let's just say what they're going on their level. Um, is not so much the nature of the therapy, but about the nature of the therapist. Who is the person I'm about to place myself under? So that's why it's important for you as Orthodox Christians, those who are going to listen to the talk, and for you to also help those around you to warn and to be careful. It's everywhere. It's in the schools. It's in the movies, like Harry Potter. Children are doing like little spells and becoming interested in magic, and people think, some parents think it's like, oh, isn't that cute? They've got little magic wands and things like that. But the... But the um, the Satanists themselves, or the, those people that deal with that occult stuff, they said ever since those films came out that their business has increased. People have become more and more interested in the occult because of the Harry Potter movies. Father Seraphim Rose, or Blessed Father Seraphim Rose, who wrote a number of books, but one of his famous ones is this one, Orthodoxy. In the religion of the future, he speaks a lot about these, this, Eastern religions, UFOs, charismatics, and all that. And there's one section which I found which was a good conclusion. It says, he says, that's a good book to, to have, almost all non-Christian religions make large use of mediumistic gifts, these gifts that these people have, such as clairvoyance, hypnosis, supposed miraculous healing, the appearance and disappearance of objects, which we heard in the 
couple of talks before where Elder Paisos described that, as well as their movement from place to place. All those things is quite prominent in, the, in these other um, religions, these non-Christian religions, like Hinduism, Easterns, and things like that. It should be noted that Orthodox saints have also had several similar gifts, but, not, but there is an immense difference between true Christian gifts and its mediumistic imitation that they do. The true Christian gift of healing, for example, is given by God directly in answer to fervent prayer, and especially at the prayer of a man who is particularly pleasing to God, a righteous man or saint, in other words, and also through contact in faith with objects that have been sanctified by God, such as holy water, the relics of saints, icons, etc. But, on the other hand, mediumistic healing, like any other mediumistic gift, is accomplished by means of certain definite techniques and psychic states which can be cultivated and brought into use by practice. See, the saints, they don't learn how to heal through some type of technique. It's given to them by God. But these people, they've got to, they, they learn techniques to bring it on and which have no relation whatsoever either to sanctity or the action of God. God doesn't work in someone who's going to sit there and go, ooh, ooh, make some noises or do some actions so that he can go into, get into, a, go into a, a trance or speak tongues or float in the air. The mediumistic ability may be acquired either by inheritance. Some people inherit it from their parents, parent or parents. Say, for example, if the mothers was into it, then a lot of times the children can also have that ability. Or by transference through contact with someone who has the gift and teaches you how to do it. Or even through the reading of occult books. People have learnt these things just by reading those books. That was what Father Seraphim said. Now, let's go on to the teaching on healing now. As I said, I'm going to be using the writings of St. Nicodemus, the Athenite, to speak specifically on this topic of healing. And Saint Nic throughout St. Nicodemus' writings, he uses St. John Chrysostom and sometimes St. Basil the Great, but he especially uses St. John Chrysostom. And the book that I used was, it's called Christian Morality by St. Nicodemus the Agorite, published by Institute for Byzantine and Modern Greek Studies USA. That's a good book, a bit thick, a little bit difficult, very good for priests to have or for those who are well read. And I'm thinking to get a few of them in, but those who are in America or Canada, they can order it from there. Now, that is a very good book. He goes through a lot of topics. One topic is this. Well, he goes through many things about gambling, about other things. Um, there's a lot of beautiful topics that he speaks about. Now, as I earlier said, the first excuse that people use to go to these places, which is the one we're going to talk about now, is because we find healing for the illnesses that we suffer. And St. Nicodemus says, to the first we reply the following, what are you doing, you foolish Christian, whoever you may be? that you turn to magicians and sorcerers in order to be healed. 
Do you really believe that the devil is going to heal your illnesses? If he has been a murderer from the beginning, and if he brought death upon the entire human race by what he done, what he did to Adam and Eve, in other words, how is he now going to become your healer? Scripture says, as Christ himself calls him, he was a murderer from the beginning. He murdered Adam and Eve spiritually. He caused them to lose paradise where they they lost their communion with God. That's what's called um, uh, spiritual murder. Even though he has the ability to kill a person, which is if permitted by God, but that's not what he's speaking about here. He is a murderer from the beginning means, he was a murderer from the beginning means he, he, he wants to destroy people's souls. He wants people to lose their communion with God. And St. John Chrysostom on this says, God says that he is a murderer and you rush to him as if, as if he's a doctor, as if he's a healer. You go to the devil as if he's a healer and what account will you be able to give when you are accursed by going there? Then St. Nicodemus uses some examples. He says, do you not see how in one moment he put 2,000 swine, pigs in other words, to death in the sea, as we read in the gospel, and, he, and, and as if he's going to cure you. If the demons did not take pity on the swine, on the pigs, do you think they're going to cure you? For if they did not spare the swine, how much more would they do to us? If they did what they did to the swine, which we're going to, oh, I'll read it and then you'll see. Um, I'll read the actual section from the Bible. It said, when he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, they met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out saying, what do you want with us, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? The time meaning at the last, when they'd be put in hell once and for all. Some distance from there, there was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged him saying, if you cast us out, if you're going to make us go out of these men, permit us to go away into the herd of swine nearby. And he said to them, go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. A couple of things there, very interesting, which is they asked God, they asked Christ for permission, so much for the silly people that say, and Christ is even scared of the demons. They had to ask permission Firstly, and secondly, they, they are like slimy things, the demons. They always want to cause problems. Now you might say, he, they knew that God would not allow them to go into another person. But they wanted to still create problems, so they said, can we go into the swine? Because by making all those swine run down, because the Jews at that time weren't allowed to eat pork, and they were illegally against the law, they were actually growing these things there uh, against the the law of Moses. So what the demons thought, if we go into the swine, make them run down and kill them all, 
the Jews would get upset because they lost all their money. And then they won't want Christ, so they won't listen to him, so they won't listen to his teaching. If they don't listen to his teaching, they won't change. If they don't change, then we've still got them. Because they don't want anyone to listen to God's words. So that's what they call. But anyway, the main thing here that St. Nicodemus is saying is that he caused them to become like to actually become crazy and run down. If the demons did not take pity on the swine, do you think they're gonna take gonna cure you? And if they did that to the swine, if they were allowed, they would do worse to us, to humans. Because the pigs for them are nothing. They want humans. They want souls. St. Nicodemus continues, Can't you see how the demons were incapable of healing the very magicians and sorcerers who serve them of the sores and plagues that Moses inflicted upon Egypt? And do you think they're going to heal you? In the Old Testament, as we know that Moses went to Pharaoh and said, Let my people go, and he wouldn't let them go. And then he did this, they allowed God through him punished the Egyptians with ten plagues. One of them was that they got all these boils, these sores from head down to their, down to their feet. It was very, very, it was horrible. The, the Egyptians themselves and the sorcerers got these sores as well. And Pharaoh said to the sorcerers, you know, make us better, do your magic, get rid of this. But they couldn't do it. And that's why it says here, quote from Exodus chapter 9, 11, it says, the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the balls that were on them and all the Egyptians. In other words, they couldn't stand, meaning not because they couldn't stand because of the balls, they couldn't stand, meaning they had no power in front of Moses because Moses was of God and they are of the demons. And God is more powerful than the demons and they couldn't, they couldn't get better. So St. Nicolaus is saying there, if the, if the magicians couldn't help make their friends, the demons make them better, how, they gonna, how are the demons going to help you? Or their, or their friends, the sorcerers. If the demons do not take pity on your soul, how are they going to take pity over the illness of your body? If the demons are eager to expel you from the kingdom of God, how are they going to deliver you from sickness? If the, in other words, he's saying there, if the demons have this mania to keep you out of the kingdom of heaven so that, that, so that we do not inherit the kingdom of heaven forever, as if now they're going to, help, going to make you better. These things are for laughter and fairy tales, says St. Nicodemus. Then he quotes the exact words of St. John Chrysostom. St. John Chrysostom said, These things are laughable. In other words, they're ridiculous. They are nothing but fairy tales. Demons know how to plan evil and cause harm, but not how to heal. If they do not spare men's souls, tell me, will they spare their bodies? They endeavour to cast us out of the kingdom of heaven, do you really think they would choose to deliver you, us from diseases? That's what St. John Chrysostom was telling the people of his times and still tells us 1,600 years later through his writings. St. Nicodemus continues, For according to St. Basil, nothing is sweeter to the devil, nothing gives him more pleasure than to hurt and torment human beings through a variety of means and punishments, and then I add, that's why he's called the hater of mankind. Remember that when the devil and his, and his angels fell, then there was all this room, they say. There was, there was room in heaven. And, the, and those who are saved take his place and the angels. And that's why, they've got that, that's why they've got that mania, that hate 
They don't want anyone out of jealousy, out of hate, out of spite. They don't want anyone to be given those positions that they once had. Be not deceived, therefore, O Christian, but be assured that, as the proverb has it, neither does the wolf ever become a sheep, nor does the devil ever become a physician. So some proverb, I don't know, must be maybe, I don't know, at the time. They said, just like a wolf can never become a sheep, that's the same way as the devil can't become a doctor. And that fire can more easily become cold and snow can more easily become hot than the devil can truly bring about healing. For even if he wishes to cure, he cannot. It is completely impossible. You've got more chance of fire causing cold or snow causing heat. You've got more chance of that, which is really impossible. But he said, if it is, that's more chance than him doing anything like that. Then he goes into three scenarios. He says, number one, even if we suppose that the, he's able to cure you, he says, let's suppose that the devil can cure. Nonetheless, he, don't, he does not wish to do so for health of a man is a good thing, of a person is a good thing. But the devil always hates what is good and this is why he, he's called the hater of the good. St. Nicodemus is saying, for argument's sake, let's say he can heal, but he won't. Because it's, it's, a, it's a good thing. Remember in the last talk, what I said, I'll read it to you what I said in the last talk, which I said, as here I'm saying, this is similar to what we heard in the last talk, where St. Nicodemus said, because the demons are so spiteful, they do not wish to reveal even the treasures of this world to men for their enjoyment. This is affirmed by St. Singlitiki, a woman saint. After all, they do not allow men to take even treasures hidden beneath the earth. So that was in the last talk, where it's actually very, very similar. Even if they can cure, they won't, because curing is good. Even if they knew where treasures were, because there's treasures everywhere. There's gold, there's um, in the water, there's uh, treasure chests of, of boats that sunk. People have buried treasures, gold, silver. There, it's, it's, it, it, that's everywhere. He's, and he said even if he knew where it was, which he doesn't because he's a blind bat, but even if he knew, he wouldn't tell you because that would give you joy. Oh, I just found this money. Thanks, God. Glory to God. Look, I found this money. I can use this money for my family. I can give money to the poor. I can give money to some orphans, anything. But as we see, they don't. And how do they find these treasures? Well, there was one I think they just found recently. Some um, these uh, people that go in these um, mini subs go down. They do go down. They found like a boat. And in there is plenty of money. A lot of gold and things like that. I think by law, maritime law, I think that whoever finds it, that's theirs. But they didn't go to a medium to find out the exact position. They went exploring. It takes some years sometimes to find things. They, they look at the history, they look at the log books, see where was that boat last, and could check out the thing and say, okay, around here. And they look. How long did it take them to find the Titanic? Titanic had a lot of money in there. 
how long did it take them? Just found it, oh, didn't they just find it a few, few years ago? How come the mediums didn't, didn't, didn't tell them where, where it was? Number two, another argument. Let's say, but even if we grant that he wants to heal you, all right? So he says, now let's make another argument, another scenario, say. Say he wants to heal you, yet he does not know how to, since the light of the angelic knowledge that he did have has been darkened. St. Basil the Great says that after the devil fell from heaven, he lost the blessed condition of knowledge that he possessed as an angel of light before. And instead, he acquired the complete opposite, that is, ignorance and evil. And then, I make a note here from the last talk, again, same, same thing, where St. Nicodemus says, magicians and demons, since they are darkened and do not have illumination from God, consequently, cannot know hidden things. Same thing. Even if they did want, they don't know. Number three, but even if we suppose that he can, wishes and knows how to cure you, so St. Nicodemus using every possible scenario, let's say he, that he can cure you, he wishes to cure you, and he knows how to cure you, but unless God permits him to do so, he's able to do nothing of himself. That's the same as what I spoke about earlier in the summary of the last talk, where I said that the, when you go to a clairvoyant or psychic and, you ha- and, they're un- and, you have, and the demons have you under control, they can plan the future. They can plan an accident. They can plan whatever. But I forgot to explain the first one, which was also that sometimes God allows the demons to guess things that are correct out of punishment. So not that he plans it, but he allows certain things, God allows them to get certain things right on purpose as a punishment to those who went, which we'll see now. This is also similar to what we heard in the last talk where St. Nicodemus says, on account of your unbelief, God permits those things to occur which they foretell to you. That's the one thing. But also... But also... um, God allows them at times, very exceptional, to get something right. In other words, he allows them to give the future of something. Very rare, but that happens as a punishment to those Christians because God is saying, you want to know the future? You love them so much? You love the demons so much? You deny me so much? Go. I'll let them know something of the future for you you and for you then to go further into your deception as a as a punishment but even that can come out good because a lot of times those people become possessed and through baby through possession they actually come out of their stupidity everything has a purpose god doesn't really punish we can use the inverted we, we use the words but really it's for out of love for the person to wake up and for others to see it and say, look, he went, he got the future, he was told something, but look at him now, he's mentally ill, or he's possessed, or he's dead, because sometimes that happens too. Be persuaded and believe that God alone is the true physician of souls and bodies, whereas magicians and demons do not heal truly, but only in one's imagination. 
and today our imagination is very active, more than ever. Why? Because television, when children watch television from very young, especially when they've just been born, a few months old, then it actually it, it, it stimulates their imagination to a very high degree. The fathers of the church say the enemy of, of a person's spiritual life is their imagination. The saints have to fight against their imagination, the fantasies that the demons try to bring into their mind, especially during prayer. That's why today people can't do deep prayers because as soon as they start to try to do deep prayers, it activates their imagination, which is from the television. That's why even the poor psychiatrists finally, they've come along and they've said children should not watch television at all up to two years old. They've even got, at least they've got to that stage. What took them? What took them? How about all those years before when people were watching it, when they were netting children? Those children, they're mentally disturbed. When a parent says to me that they allow their children to watch television, I tell them, stop or don't ring me anymore as I'm not going to participate in that because you're damaging the child where they actually then become the plaything of de demons and things like that. Very difficult today. That's why spiritual life today is very difficult for people. Now, those people that were brought up in communism and those people that were brought up in countries where there's no television, I've noticed there's always a difference. I was talking to a young fellow once and we're on the phone, we're talking there, and I thought to myself, I don't understand, this person, he's young, how old was he, about 30, he must have been brought up with television, but I couldn't understand why he was able to understand what I was saying, he was actually able to connect to the spiritual mean, meaning of things, while a lot of times people don't. They make out that they, but it's not their fantasy, they go, yeah, yeah, it's their fantasy, but... But this person didn't, and I was saying to myself, I can't understand, like he's young, so he must have watched television. And then, as we were speaking, he said, um, uh, I was brought up in such and such a country. I go, oh. It was a communist country. I go, could have been Serbia, could have been Russia, it doesn't matter. I said, okay. He goes, um, we never had television. I, don't, I never saw television until I was around eight, nine years old. That explains. I was talking to another fellow, not orthodox, uh, but of, or, uh, um, from a mixed marriage. So I think his father was orthodox, but his mother wasn't anyway. He wasn't orthodox, he was Protestant or something. And I was talking to him, and I s noticed again with him that, I could un that he could connect, I, he could understand what I was talking about. And I said, this person's not even baptised, and he understands more about the Bible than what orthodox people do who are out of it. And I couldn't understand how this person who's brought up in Australia, how does he know? So we're talking there, and then all of a sudden he told me about his mother. She had a mental illness, and um, so what happened was that when he was a, when he, from when he was young child, the TV broke, and the mother just from her mental illness, from her problems that she had, she never fixed it. I said, "So what TV did you watch when young?" As I never watched TV, I didn't see any TV at all. Okay, that explains. Now you bring me the ones that have watched TV from young and talked to them about spiritual. Yeah, oh, right. Yeah, oh, yeah, I do the Jesus prayer, oh, my mind, and this, it's all fantasy. This, it's sickness. That's why I try, and that's why all the Paisus, if you notice, he doesn't 
push people, to, of especially the younger generation, to do much prayers and things like that. He just told them to do simple things. Why? Because when he was pushing them to do deeper spiritual things, they fall into fantasy. The demons use the mind, which has been activated by the television, full of images, and they make them fall into deception. Now, some of you might say, does that mean that we shouldn't pray if we've watched TV? A little bit. Mostly, you should be reading the Bible a little bit, going to church, confessing, doing the commandments, giving alms to the poor, helping people and things like that. But deep spiritual prayers can, can actually lead someone into demonic deception. So if you're having children... Don't let them in front of the television for years. If you've already had them and you let them, get on your knees, pray to God and ask for forgiveness and to ask him to help you. To repent for, what, for, for, for that, even if you're ignorant, and ask God to help you with the child because the child will be affected. And you wonder why children don't go to church. They can't go to church. They're not interested. Their minds are so stimulated by the flashing lights. Blah, 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 like like. Kids that don't watch TV, they watch television, they might see it at a doctor's office, they go, it's too quick, I can't, it makes them dizzy, they're not used to it. But the kids that watch it, they, they watch it and they're hypnotised, mesmerised. So they're watching, 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 then they come to church as if now they're going to be interested in the priest walking around and sensing. That doesn't interest them. Because it's slow motion. You've got to film the priest and make it go quick, then they'll watch it, <laughs> sensing. That, all that type of stuff, then they'll be interested because it's really quick. Oh, that's exciting. Look at him. Look how quick he is. Oh, he, he did the whole liturgy in one minute. Fast motion. That's really good. Now, where are we up to? We say here, if we suppose that they heal the body by God's permission, so let's, uh, let's, let's summarise that, whereas magicians and demons do not truly heal but only in one's imagination. If we suppose that they heal the body by God's permission, yet know that they heal it with the intent of killing your soul. So if God allows them, if God, in other words, because it's God who heals, if God heals that person because, of the, uh, because that person went to the demons for that and God says, you want it, you can have it, but... The devil wants that because he wants to destroy the soul. How? By separating you from the faith of Christ and tempting you into believing in them and worshipping them. As I said, once people go to these places, once they start to get some results, they begin to have more and more faith. More money, more faith, leave the church. Therefore, what benefit do you expect to receive if supposedly your body which may be alive today, but dead tomorrow, is healed while your immortal soul suffers death. What profit are you going to receive if you experience a little health here on earth, but are punished eternally in the next life? Saint Nicodemus is saying, why do you want that? Even if the devil can cure, and even if God permits that to happen, you might get a couple of years more, but then lose your soul eternally. Perish such health, perish such life. In other words, reject it, may it, may it not be, it may, may it never happen. 10,000 deaths are preferable to such life and health. 
10,000 deaths are preferable to such life. What is the point in getting healed if you're going to lose your soul? Just to live a couple of more years if it happens. Now, St. John Chrysostom says, he says it, for demons do not truly heal, perish the thought. I will go as far as to say that even if they do truly heal, it's better to die than to seek the help of the enemies of God and to be healed in this way. For what benefit is there in the body being cured while the soul is eternally lost? What's the point in being cured if you're going to go to hell forever? What profit is there in receiving some relief from pain here on earth if it means one is going to be condemned to the eternal fire and suffer forever? What's the point? And again, St. John Christum says, even if, demons, even if a demon does heal, he causes more harm than good, for he benefits the body, which is definitely going to die a little later and rot in the grave, but harms one's soul, which is immortal. What beautiful words. Do we hear these words much today? No. Look how the saints speak. Can you imagine a priest saying that today in the church? By the way, Christians, you, if you go to a magician, your body's still going to rot in the grave and eaten by worms. And then, you know, the people go, oh, no, that's really offensive. See, the demons have clipped. They've clipped the wings of the clergy a lot. So that's what's happened today to a lot of the clergy. Their wings are clipped and they aren't flying straight. There are very, very good parish priests, but it's very difficult. Someone went to a funeral of someone here in Sydney. They went to a funeral and the sermon was about the Harbour Bridge, the safety net of the Harbour Bridge. What had to do with the dare? I don't even know. The person told me, he goes, I've heard so many talks, but... I didn't understand what he was talking about. It's about the Harbour Bridge, the safety. Now, I think he was trying to say that maybe if you're in the church, you're under a safety, but I couldn't understand it. I go, that's, that's political correct. Got to say it nice so as not to offend someone. Anyway, it says here, for the devil, brothers and sisters, is a very clever fisherman and lets, and lets down a small bait to catch a large fish. That is... He's happy to give you a little health if only to deprive you of paradise, to lengthen your life a little if only to punish you eternally. Like a fisherman goes, they put a little, whatever, they put a little worm and they catch a nice fish. That's the same as the devil. The devil goes, okay, you, I'll, 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 I'll catch some fish today. I'll give a little bit of health as long as I get the big fish. And the big fish for them is for the person to go to hell. Now, this is a, a little note that, I've, that I got from somewhere else, from Suffering Salvation, which is also a very good book. Why, Orthodox Christians, have you turned your back on eternal life? You're looking at life the wrong way round. You see it as lasting until the grave. People can go to church. People can say Christ is risen, Christos Anesti, Christos Christ, whatever they say, Christ is risen. And people say all that. But deep down, they don't even believe in the next life. 
because their life shows that they don't believe in the next life. They don't think about the next life. That's what life is for you, that moment, now. People say, my life is what it is now, at this moment. You want to be happy for that moment. But for God, life doesn't end with the grave. It begins with the grave. It begins and never ends. In other words, when we are put into the grave, where that's it, not life is over, but life goes on forever. And God wants you to gain eternal life. So who's right? You who want to live well for this second or God who wants you to live until the ages of ages? What does that mean there? Is that when a person understands that this that life here is for the purpose of eternal life to go into the next into the next world forever in in heaven then the commandments are not hard when i came to the church one thing that i had in my mind i understood that this life was before i didn't know anything at the moment that i came to church that this life is a preparation for the next life so when i read the church says you can't do this you don't do this I didn't find that too difficult because I wanted to be saved. And that's what I notice with people. Those who know and think about their salvation, they don't say, oh, it's hard or it's really hard and sometimes what the church teaches is hard and hard and hard all the time. And when God allows sicknesses or problems to occur, a person knows that that means that that must be for our good, which I'm coming to that soon. Someone becomes mentally ill, or someone has demonic problems, or someone has physical sicknesses. These things are there to help a person. I'm helping a person now, a person who's got, going for a divorce, whatever. And he said to me, a couple of kids, I think three children, and his wife just said, I, I want a divorce, that's it, finished. No, no warning, no nothing, I just want a divorce. The man was devastated. And he said to me, Father, is this happening to me as a punishment? And I said to him, no. Punishment is at the last judgment, when God does the final judgment, where people go to hell or to hell. That's, that's the final judgment. Now it's more God's love and God's compassion and God's mercy, trying to help people come to the truth and come to be saved. All that happens in this world has one purpose, for us to be saved. Whether it's wars, whether it's disasters, whether it's killings, whether it's... We don't understand it, but it has one purpose, for us to be saved. And I said to this person, are you going to church now? He goes, yes, I'm going to church. Did you go to church before? He goes, no. How much did you used to work before? Seven days a week. Do you... Spend more time with your children? Yes. Do you read some spiritual books a bit? Yes. Would you speak to a priest before? He goes, no. Would you speak to me? He goes, no. So therefore, where's the punishment? Now you've got the chance to pray and, and, and try to avoid the divorce, obviously, but um, you would never have come to the church you would never have gone to confession. You would never have thought about your children's souls like he thinks now if this didn't happen to you. A disaster which also has fruits.
Now I'm going to read some startling things here from, from the Elder Paisio's book. Now, I was very happy at the last talk, I think I mentioned. Uh, in Greek, I think they've, they've got up to volume six, but in English it's up to six. Four, they've, only, they've only done four volumes. And last time, a lot of these were sold. Those who have read them, or are reading them, have, say, have said to me that it's completely changing their whole way of thinking, their heart, their, things like that. The elder puts the stories, puts spiritual things into a very accessible way. And it helps the person immensely. And that's why I promote those who listen to the talks overseas, whatever they, you know, the Elder Paisos of Manathos Spiritual Councils. There's volumes one, two, three, four. Volume three, Spiritual Struggle. Volume four is Family Life. The, it's produced by Holy Monastery Evangelist John the Theologian, Soriti Thessaloniki, Greece. They're sold everywhere. And, the, and that's, the, that's his teachings. And this book, which they finally did, this is the official life, Elder Pieces of Manathos by Hiram Monk Isaac. And that book is uh, the official life, which is also people that have read it have said that it's, that it's um, an excellent book. I encourage people to read these, to read books, a little bit every day, to, to take out the rubbish that's in our minds and replace it with something that's proper. Also, since we're on the books, this is a new book which we just got as well, which some people have already got, Everyday Saints and Other Stories. This is about Russians, Russian people of the, of the last century, in this century, all different um, saints. And it's very well written. I've read half of it, but people have read all of it. And they said that they can't put it down. This is also a very, book, very, very good book, Everyday Saints and Other Stories, Archimedes Tikon, and it was um, Book of the Year in Russia, I think. It was a very, very popular book. Even, you know. And then also, I just got in, the... Um, it, uh, this has been put together by Elder Ephraim himself of, of um, the Monastery of um, Arizona, St. Anthony's. And this is the official life, my Elder Joseph the Hesychus. And this book that, I've, that people have bought already, even people that can't read very well, it's written so simply and, and they said that it really helps them, brings them to repentance, a zeal to struggle, and it's a remarkable, a remarkable life. And I always promote that um, books. And that's why I bring them in from overseas, even though it's very expensive. But nevertheless, in a lot of trouble. Uh, all these books I highly recommend for people to, um, to, um, to purchase. Now, from book three, you get an example of what I'm saying, of how beautifully the older puts things. Someone asked him, Yerunda, which means in Greek, elder, starets, can a sorcerer heal someone who is sick? And then the elder answers, can a sorcerer heal a sick man? He can heal someone who is shaken up by a demon by sending the demon to someone else. Remember, the sorcerer and the devil are partners, they're working together. So the sorcerer can say to his partner, the devil... 
quote, leave this man and go into that one. So the sorcerer can remove a demon from one individual and send him into a relative or some other acquaintance of his who may have given certain rights to the demon to have power over him. Now, some of you might not understand. I'll explain it. So, as we know, what I said before, he puts it so he puts it wonderfully. When when you go to mediums, all these people, they are working with the devil. Their partner is him, and his demons there. And he says that they work together. So, when someone goes who has have, who's who's under some demonic problem, they go to a medium or clairvoyant or psychic, and then. What the psychic says is to the demon that's got that person under their control, go away from him, leave him alone, go to someone else. Suddenly, the person who went says, I feel better now. And they go to someone else, for example, who again, because of their life, has given rights to the demon's means that that person, because of their sins, they haven't confessed, aren't struggling, has given the demons the authority to go and bother them. In such case, the person who had the demon may say, I was suffering, but now so-and-so has healed me. And the word gets around, and in the end, the demon just circulates among relatives or friends. If, for example, someone is a hunchback because of demonic influence... A sorcerer can send the demon to someone else, thus allowing the hunchback to stand up straight. But if someone has a hunchback because of physical disability, then, then the sorcerer cannot heal him. That's why I tell you, buy the books. That's why I tell you, these books, you, people need to have them and read them. I mentioned something along this line in maybe talk 58. I hadn't read this yet. And as I was saying it, I kind of got a bit scared and I said, now, because uh, I was saying in that talk, the demon makes someone sick and then, then they make them better. But when I said it, I kind of felt a little bit guilty because I said, is that correct what I'm saying? Um, I hope I'm not saying something that because I don't like saying anything that I believe. I like to say what the church believes. But anyway, my conscience says, leave it in there. And shortly after I found this, I go, that's exactly, that's exactly it. The demons can make someone sick and the demons can come off that person and make them better. And people believe that they got better. And now let's, let's, let's read that from Luke. It says... And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no ways raise herself up, whom Satan had bound for 18 years. And blessed Theophilach, the interpreter of the gospel there, says, the woman suffered from this affliction, the woman in the gospel, as a result of demonic assault. As the Lord himself says, this woman whom Satan had bound, think of it, for 18 years. Then St. Theophilus continues, perhaps God had departed from her on account of certain sins and as a result, 
Satan was punishing her, for Satan is in part the cause of all hardships which afflict our bodies when God on high permits him. Which is exactly what Elder Paisio said. God permits the demons to sometimes cause sicknesses for his reasons. And the reasons I said before is to help that person come to their senses. And we all need to come to our senses. So for Satan, he said, is in part the cause of all hardships which afflict our bodies when God on high permits him. There are sicknesses which are physical and there are sicknesses which are demonic. It's hard to know which it is. It's hard to know, do I have a migraine from demonic reasons? Do I have a migraine from true physical reasons? Am I mentally ill from demonic reasons? Or am I mentally ill from uh, other reasons, trauma or um, some physiological problem? And people, when, they, when I say that to them, they go, well, how do we know? It doesn't matter. Go to church. Whatever it is, if it's, if it's spiritual, after, as St. Paisus himself said, Elder Paisus says, says, a lot of times people can just get better just from confession. Just from confession, he says, a person can get better. A person can be released from demonic powers just from unction. Remember what Father John Christiankin, the elder of the, of the, in Russia, said, that that unction is higher than exorcism. People run to magicians. People run here. People even say, I want a priest to do an exorcism. Why? Go and get an unction done. This type only comes out with prayer and fasting. Do I look like I fast much? No. So how am I going to do an exorcism? Exorcisms were done by people that were holy. Even a, a, a monk can do an exorcism that's not even a priest. A nun can do an exorcism. Elder Paisius did exorcisms and he wasn't a priest. This type comes only out by prayer and fasting. However, however, God has given the priesthood whereby, regardless of the priest, whether he's holy or too holy or just a little bit holy, whatever, he has priesthood. And when the priest does the unction that has the power to do a lot of miracles. The second example of Elder Paisio's book three, Spiritual Struggle, I was told about a woman, said the elder, who supposedly cured sick people by using various holy things. When I heard of what she did, I was amazed by the devil's trickery. She holds a cross in her hand and sings various hymns. I've mentioned this in another talk. For example, she may sing... A virgin mother of God, which is what we sung today when we, when I was, when I went around the five loaves three times. When she comes to the part of the hymn that says, "And blessed is the fruit of your womb," she spits on the cross. This is a blasphemy against Christ, and so the devil comes to her aid, because she's doing that blasphemy. That makes the devil more happy with her, and therefore she gains more power from him. That's why a lot of these people, these Satanists, to gain more and more power, they've got to do more and more sin. One of them is, for example, sacrificing little children and other things like that because the devil is pleased with that and that gives them more power. So she, that's what she does. 
Therefore, when someone suffers from depression caused by demonic influence and doctors can't help him, she will provide relief by sending away the depression-causing demon. I like that. The depression-causing demon. In other words, the demon that causes the depression to someone else. A lot of people taking her for a saint asks, ask for her advice and little by little she harms their soul and destroys them. See, she acts religious, she holds a cross, she does the prayer, but there's always going to be something that you can say, that's not from God. And what in, in this case, she spits. So, therefore, when someone suffers from depression caused by demonic influence, and doctors can't help him, she will provide relief by sending away the depression causing demon to someone else. Now, I will mention and I'll emphasise this. Unlike these Reiki people and all these other people, they actually say, you don't need to go to doctors. I don't, I don't say that. If a person comes to me and says, I've got depression, how do I know what that depression comes from? Does it come from, could be from a number of reasons. So I'm not going to say to the person, don't go to the doctor. Don't go to the psychiatrist. Don't go here. Don't do that. I'll make you better. The church will make you better. Now, what we do is they continue to go to their doctors, whatever they've got to do. But at the same time, they get help from the church. If it is demonic, a lot of times it will come off if the person repents and, is, and things like that. Now, I know some people that have been influenced by, by magic. One of the symptoms that they say is that they feel melancholic. They feel like crying for no reason. They feel depressed. They feel no energy. Very weak. Now, that could be, of course, a physical sickness. That could be anemia. That could be low blood pressure. That could be low thyroid. It could be a number of things. It can be... Uh, depression caused by trauma. It can be just that that person just thinks and thinks and thinks on something that lost their boyfriend or done something or they lost their money in their shares or just goes on and on and on, thinks, thinks, thinks about it and just doesn't stop until they drive themselves crazy. Could be from that as well. That's psychological. That's from their own mind. However, the, uh, the, the other ones, when it's, when it's demonic, a lot of times you say to them, go and confess clear yourself out, let's do some prayers, have some unction, and what happens? It goes away. If they are going to doctors, you can't say to them, stop the medication, that's dangerous. You can't interfere, because if something happens to that person, then they can say, you told us to stop, and my son committed suicide, or because of the whatever. Just, that's, just don't get involved in that. You just, just do the spiritual. And then if they get better, slowly, slowly, you, the doctor will see them and say, look, I feel like I'm getting better. Can I cut down? And after a while, they, they might even just get off it altogether. But you can't just stop like that because you heard the talk and say, oh, my depression's from demonic. I'm going to stop. I'm going to go to the church. Don't do that. It's dangerous. Do both. And slowly, slowly, if you are getting better then you can stop the other, the, the slowly with the doctor's help there. 
there is need for great vigilance, says Elder Paisios. One must run away from sorcery and magicians as one runs from fire and snakes. Let's keep it simple, Elder Paisios is going to say in our statement. Let's keep it simple. The devil can never do anything good. He can only heal the sickness which he himself creates. But of course, we heard St. Nicodemus and St. Christmas, and if he can heal, you know, those are just arguments to say. Let's say for argument's sake, he can heal, but whatever, whatever, we heard that. But in the, the, the rule is, he can't heal. But he can heal those things that he creates. I told you last time about a woman who comes to the talks, and I've got permission to mention her story, and she's got a few children, but one of the children she's having trouble with, her teenage daughter, who was around 15, which is usually that's what happens. 15 years old, a bit of a wild horse there. And uh, a lot of problems, fights, a lot of problems. The daughter doesn't like her, um, uh, arguments, something's wrong with the daughter. That's obviously it's teenage things, could be sin, could be because she went on the internet and saw pornography and that's uh, uh, twisted her mind and made her um, sick. Maybe she fell. There's a lot of reasons. Maybe they're taking drugs. Who knows? The point is the girl's out of control. So all of a sudden this person comes along, another woman, and says to her, oh, your daughter's got stress, your daughter's got anxiety, your daughter, she needs this, she needs that, she needs a special person to talk to and I can, and I can help her. And then this woman had been to these talks and I even said, doesn't matter if they use religious words, it doesn't matter if they mention God, it doesn't mean it is from God. It can, may, may not be. It may, it may not be, but you've got to see the full story. Let's hear the full story. So what else did she say? So this woman said to, the, to, her, to this lady who wanted to come and do healing, healing on the daughter, the woman said to her, look, uh, we have a priest and he helps us and this and that. And she goes, no, no, she needs someone special to talk to. I have a blessing from the priest in Russia or whatever, and he told me that I can do these healings. She's got a blessing from the priest. Sounds good so far. So blessing, God, she, you know, she goes, I can help her so that she can get access to God. Okay? So this woman's been a bit ignorant. She doesn't know fully. I mean, I knew straight away from the first sentence that she was dealing with a witch, but that's me. But she doesn't know. So she went on and on and on. And then we come to the, like, like the other woman who's saying the prayers and then she spits. There's always something that, that will show where they're coming from. In this case, she said, the priest can't help you. Only I can help you. The priest can't help you in this. And there it was. But even though that woman heard that, she made a booking to go and take her daughter to the witch. For healing. The woman was desperate. You can see she's desperate. I mean, when you've got a wild, a wild horse as a daughter, it's a bit hard. Physical, who knows if the daughter's hit her. But it's just obviously, it's, it's, a, it's a very difficult situation. That's where people are caught at their most vulnerable time, where they just want help. So then this thing came along on her broom and said, we're going to 
I, I can help you with your daughter and make her better. Get out all the bad energies from her. Anyway, so she rang me up and I said to her that um, I don't like it. I think, it's, I, think it's, um, I think she's a witch. And she said, no, no, but she talks about God. But she's a witch. No, she talks about God. She talks about God. She talks about God. She talks about God. She's got a blessing from the priest. It doesn't matter if she talks about God. It doesn't matter. St. John Christum said, those people who use the Orthodox religion as part of their as part of their way of getting people to come to them, St. John Christum says you have to hate them. He goes, loathe them, hate those people because they're enemies of God and they're using religious whether icons. Oh, by the way, and that physiotherapist that I went to, she, had an, uh, uh, she was orthodox but apostate. She had an icon of Archangel Michael in her, um, in her physio room there. I must admit, I, I like that. I go, okay, she's Greek, she's um, orthodox, as I thought. Got an icon, that sounds good. Until I found out that, um, she, that she was a witch too. But she didn't have blonde hair. That was an exception. Usually they all have the blonde hair and a lot of jewellery and makeup. And they always got problems with their children. Did I tell you actually, I actually went to one once? Not for myself, because um, as you know, I used to teach maths. And I went to, um, someone called me, and that was before I was in the church. And it turned out, so I went to the house, and I met the woman, blonde, bleached blonde hair, a lot of jewellery. She goes, welcome, thank you, can you help my son? And um, whatever, I said, okay. Uh, he was in year nine. He's, can you help him in the maths? I said, okay. He goes, okay, here, you can use this room here. So I went into the room, and what do I notice? A crystal ball. So the table that I was teaching him was her, 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 car, her, her, um, her business table there, her crystal ball, her cards, this tarot. Being not in the church, being stupid, I didn't know, that um, didn't care. She was paying the money. So... So we were there and I was teaching. Then she would come in at the end. She goes, how's he going? I said, well, it's not, you know, he didn't do the homework. And then she would go, you, you didn't do the homework? Whack on the head. What's going to happen to you? Whack on the head. Like, because they're very, you see, people who delve in these things are very neurotic, very nervous, agitated. That's one of the symptoms of, um, of the magic. That's how you know you've got demonic influence. Whack, whack on the head. What's going to happen? I thought to myself then, even though I was stupid, I didn't know much. I go, well, if she knows the future, wouldn't she know what's going to happen to him? <laughs> and why didn't she use some magical powers to make him smart? Because the guy was dumbass. I'm sorry, but he just couldn't, just couldn't get it. And that was my encounter of the third kind, as they call them, uh, with with um, with that. And you see others that are similar. It's the same thing. Trouble, what's going to happen, what's going to happen to my children, fighting, continuing, things like that. So you can see that these things are not blessed. They're not proper. So finally, this woman that I was speaking about, the one that wanted to take her daughter to the Orthodox healer, I said, don't go. And then I said, if, you know, don't go. And then she kept on going, so I hanged up on her, as I told you last time. And then later on she repented and she cancelled and she never went back to that woman, which I was pleased with that. See? Hanging up. 
it was it was tough. That's the decision I made. I didn't know how to wake her up, so I said to her, "You're upsetting me. You are being disobedient. You're gonna you're not gonna go well, and I'm not gonna argue with you." Pluck and hanged up on her. Right, and then I got my email. Sorry, forgive me. I got rid of her. Whatever, whatever. That's why they use some methods. Why? Because I care for her soul. I care for her daughter's soul. So therefore, I'll use any method necessary to wake that person up. Whether it's speaking gently, if that needs be, or being angry, or making threats, or as Saint Nicodemus says, you know, if you go in those doors, you're going to go to hell. I've used those things as well. That's, that's the way it is, as you know from your own children. Sometimes you speak and speak gentle, sometimes you've got to think, sometimes you've got to use a little bit of um, physical, uh, but probably not in like a madness. God himself uses physical in the sense of sicknesses, mental problems. All these things are painful. But the world today is saying, no pain, no pain. You don't discipline children. You can't inflict pain. You can't do this. You can't tell people their faults. Everything's got to be... That's all wrong. And that's why the psychiatrists now are turning around and saying, the children, the way they've been brought up in this way of positive reinforcement, this continual, you know, oh, you're, you did good. Here's a dollar. Oh, you're the best. You're this, you're that. These children are turning out to be disabled disabled mentally, emotionally disabled people. Anyway, and then later on she admitted this woman and said, I didn't say something, but she did say to me that priests can't help. And I said, and? What did you think? I knew that there was something wrong, but I was so desperate I wanted to help get help for my daughter. I couldn't listen to you. But anyway, now I understand that that's wrong. Then St. Nicodemus goes through three examples of those who have been ill and have not summoned magicians from the Gospel and from the Old Testament. The paralytic is one of them. If you remember the story of the paralytic, John chapter 5, lines 2 to 9, uh, now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep, sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda having five porches. Here lay a great number of sick people, blind, disabled, paralysed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had once a year. But now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition for a long time, meaning he knew because he's God, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Even that he knew. He knew that the man, that man wanted to be well, but he wanted others to hear. They wanted, they wanted, he wanted that man to say, I want to get well. The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to help me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm trying to get in, another steps down before me. Then Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. On this, St. Nicodemus says, do you see how the paralytic lay half dead for 38 years, bravely enduring his illness and awaiting God's help without asking anyone to cast spells for him or to give him amulets? Now, amulets, as I mentioned in the first talk on magic, 
are these things that in Greek they call philakta. They're little. They wrap up. They wrap up things in them. Sometimes monasteries give them as well, where they might put a bit of um, a cloth from a saint's clothing or something, and they wrap it up and then put a cross on it. Elder Pesos doesn't like that because because sometimes you don't know whether it's from a monastery or whether it's from a magician who put a cross on there to trick people. The magician can use these and put in there dead buck bones and other filthy things, which I mentioned in Talk 58. Right? So they're called like amulets, like some type of good luck charms or whatever they think. He said he never did that. And St. John Chrysostom, his exact words on this, he says, each year the paralytic would rush to the pool only to be kept away. He would see others cured because they had many who would assist them down into the waters of the pool, whereas he remained in his paralysed condition since he had no one who would help him descend into the pool. Even so, he did not turn to magicians or go to sorcerers, says St John Chrysostom. He did not tie an amulet around his neck. Rather, he waited at help from God. For that reason, he achieved the marvellous and glorious cure by the hands of Christ, where he was cured. And St. Nicodemus concludes, And you, O Christian, when you have been ill for a few days, why are you so impatient that you run to wizards and witches? Like what happened to me when I went to Greece. First time I went to Greece was on when I was 16. So I was there and I was yawning. Oh, obviously jet lag. But anyway, for them, they go, oh, someone's done the evil eye on you. Someone's done the evil eye, which I don't even know. What does that mean? Someone's matyasid you, they said. Someone, oh, it's there. We have to call the local witch from the area. Anyway, so they call some stupid woman there and she comes and adds oils and waters and see what it does. It goes, yes, someone's done something and done something there. And then that supposedly was supposed to make me better, which after I slept, I got better anyway because of the jet lag. But anyway, they thought that someone done something to me. Maybe that does happen. Some, that the evil eye is true. Even Christ said, out of the heart comes fornication, adultery, the, the, the evil eye. So that's a, that, that is true. But not everything's from the evil eye. But the point there is that Christians, when they've got the slightest headache, when they've got a bit of, of a sickness, they, they run to these places. I mean, if there's something really serious, you can, unlike that woman, that woman with, that, with, the, with, the, with the wild daughter, you can see she was a bit desperate, she lost herself, even though it's still wrong, and thanks God she didn't go at all, because the daughter would have, would have become worse. But when people are going for little reasons, and that, and, that, and that does happen, now there's another example, Lazarus the beggar. Luke 16, lines 19 to 23. There was a certain man, rich man, who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at the gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Furthermore, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom, to heaven. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up, the rich man lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham from afar and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in the flame, in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, 
remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus received evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And St. John Chrysostom this said, Lazarus the beggar fought all his life against hunger, sickness and loneliness. Remember, he had this from birth. That's why that he was laid there. He didn't go to the rich man's door. He was taken there by his relatives, dumped there, and that's it, thinking, we can't take care of him, it's too much. Maybe this rich man will do something. So they left him there. That's why he was laid there. Lazarus the beggar fought all his life against hunger, sickness, and loneliness, not only for 38 years like the paralytic, but the whole term of his life. In this condition, he gave up his last breath at the gate of a rich man's house. In other words, he didn't get better like the paralytic. He was totally despised, ridiculed, hungry, and exposed to the dogs as food. For his body had such paralysis that he was not able to chase away the dogs which would go to him to lick his sores, because they were hungry. However, he did not try to find magicians, nor did he wear amulets, nor turn to sorcerers, nor did he invite witches, nor anything else of, these, of those forbidden by God. He preferred to die while that wretched, in that wretched state, instead of surrendering even the slightest bit of his honour for God. And St. Nicodemus, that was St. John Christum, and St. Nicodemus concludes, And what forgiveness will you receive, O Christian, who on account of a slight fever run to drunken old women? In other words, to the magicians and things like that. And at the end, he didn't get better. But we saw the result. Okay, we have another break. This time it's the sandwich break. I wouldn't have to read the Bible sections if, if, if a lot of you read the Bible. And it's very important to read the, the, um, the, especially the Holy Gospel every day, a little bit every day. Some can read a chapter. If you haven't got time, then at least you can go with the, with the, um, the reading of the day for the Epistle and the Gospel, which is short, which is on the calendar. Um, depending on what calendar you, 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 you follow. But anyway, the next example that St. Nicodemus um, uses is that of the long-suffering Job, which is from the Old Testament, chapters 1 and 2. I'm going to read it, but I'm going to read it quickly. It will help us understand what these saints are speaking about when they make reference to him. There was a man in the, in the land of Uz, I think it says, whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and turned away from evil. I like that one there. See, he feared God, because the devil fears God too, by the way. But the difference is between the, with, between the devil and those of like the Christians, etc., is that we have to fear God, respect God, and turn away from evil while the devil fears God and trembles, but he doesn't turn away from evil. And, and um, seven sons and three daughters were born to him, and also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys and very large households, so that, his man, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. 
and, and this and his sons would go and feast in their houses each on his appointed day and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings as they did in the Jewish times according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did often. That's really good for the talk on upbringing of children. See, he, even though his children were adults, but he would pray for them just in case they did they sinned cursed god in their hearts i think that's a very good example of how important it is for parents to pray for their children even when they're older one day the sons of god meaning the angels came to present themselves before the lord and satan also came among them and the lord said to satan where have you come from so satan answered the lord and said from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and turns away from evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him? In other words, a protective wall like around his household, around all that he has on every side. You've protected him. Everything's going well for him. You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now, says the devil to, to God, now stretch out your hand and strike everything that he has and he surely will curse you to your face. Some modernists say that this is, didn't really happen. This is all symbolic. That's okay. Let, they, let them believe what they want. We'll just go on with what the saints teach. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. This is very important. It shows that the devil needed permission from God to do what he's going to do now. Only when God gave him permission was he able to do the damage that he's going to cause. Interesting. Now, some people say, oh, how can that happen and how can that be? And remember one thing. God allows things to happen for one purpose, the salvation of our souls. Don't be like children. Let us not be like sport, stupid children who are young, silly, that don't understand. When their parents punish them, they look at their parents as enemies. They don't understand because they're young. Even teenagers they don't understand. When the parent does certain restrictions or certain little punishments or whatever, it all has one purpose, well, it should have one purpose, for the good for them. So, for example, if the child's growing up to be ungrateful, the parent has to say, excuse me, thank you. You have to say thank you. You have to say please. Why? Because the parent does not want that child to turn out to be a beast. So... If the child's not listening, then he might do some penance. It might be a little smack, or it could be go into your room, or you're not going to get your lolly, or whatever, whatever, whatever. In the child's mind, it sits there upset, sometimes full of hate, sometimes hitting walls or falling on the ground and getting all upset like a, 
like a, like a spoiled brat. Why? Because that child has no understanding of why the parent's doing it. doesn't understand. That's the same as us. We don't understand a lot of times why God has allowed this or that person to die or our mother to that for that to happen to our mother. We don't understand those. And we sit there and we hit walls like the children do. We sit on the ground and we hit our, our um, hands there and go, why, 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 why? Because we don't understand. Because God, if, if parents do that for their children, how much then God does it for, for us, for our salvation? A lot of times the parents don't even do it for some proper reasons. They might do it just to teach the children not to be beasts. And some parents, rare, care about their children's salvation. Most don't. The, children, the parents might say, I don't want my child to be rude. Or it's embarrassing for people to see that my child's a delinquent. But God doesn't do that for personal gain. He does it for one purpose only, out of his love, to save the person. So, and the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were ploughing and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabaeans, some people came, raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword and I, sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another message also came and said to Job, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another message also came and said, uh, the, the Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels and took them away, killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another message also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their older, oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from across the desert and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on them, and they are dead. So he's ten children. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell to the ground and worshipped God. And he said, Naked I came from a mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. In other words, God gave me these camels, God gave me these lands, God gave me the servants, God gave me my children. He gave it to me, and he's got the right to take them away. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor blame God with wrong. On another day, when the sons of God, the angels in other words, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord, and the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth. What does it mean by roaming back and forth? Meaning going around, see who he can tempt, see who he can make to fall into sin, see who he can make deny God. See who he can make blaspheme. So he said, roam in the earth, back and forth. That's what it means. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? And there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and turns away from evil. And I add to that, unlike you, meaning the devil, who, yes, you fear God, but you don't turn away from evil. And still he holds fast to his integrity, to his righteousness. Although you incited... In other words, you persuaded me against him to ruin him without cause. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin. Yes, a man will give all that he has for his own life, 
but stretch out your hand now and strike his bone and flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. See, the pleasure that the devil gets when people turn away from God. This is showing that in this, converse, in this dialogue. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? You know, do you still hold fast to your life with God? And Curse God and die. What does that mean? Curse God and die. We'll come to that in a minute. But he said to her, but Job said to his wife, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? All, and in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Now let's look at some explanation by St. Nicodemus and St. John Christum. First, St. Nicodemus says, Do you not see that the noble Job, who, after all that he had lost, children, property, etc., was so covered with sores that worms oozed from all his members and he could not eat bread on account of, this, of his stench, because these pussy things smell. And despite all this, although he could have escaped from all of these woes through blasphemy and died, as his wife told him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die, said his wife. Nonetheless, he endured manfully and did not allow so much as a word of blasphemy to come out of his mouth. This is good for the euthanasia thing, see? People, you know, when they say, I can't take the pain anymore, I want to kill myself, I want to die. His wife, in a way, was saying the same thing, you know, curse God and just die so your pain can stop, which is similar to what people say. They might not say curse God, but they say, you know, you can't suffer anymore, you have to end it. And in a way, it's like we're cursing God because God does not give us the permission to take away our life when, when we feel like it. But nevertheless, it says, nonetheless, he endured manfully and did not allow so much as a word of blasphemy to come out of his mouth. And that happens to Christians even today for smaller things. For smaller things. A, a, a person said to me, I lost my job. And then they're bitter. They're the bitter against God. So God, they said. Um, they, they might have even had help. They might have done, they might have done a maleben, got a priest to do like a paraclysis, a maleben, to some saint. They got the job. Then later on, they lost the job, so later on. And now it's the, uh, they were happy before. Glory to God, glory to the saint. I got the job. But as soon as they lose the job, then all of a sudden, why did God allow this? He's cruel, and that's not good. And they become bitter, stop going to church. See, all this is like blasphemy. In a way, it's like we're saying, you know... I like you when you give me things, but when you don't, when you take things away or where you cause problems in my life, I don't like you. And I think we all have a touch of that. But as for you, why are you so impatient, O Christian, that for the sake of a tiny sore you despise God, Christ, the faith and the saints, and run to magicians and demons, the enemies of God, in order to be cured? What forgiveness can you receive for this? As St. John Christum tells you, quote, Therefore... Says St. John, what excuse will we have if they, meaning Job, the paralytic, and Lazarus, which we just read, suffered and endured so much while we run to the enemies of God on account of either fever or wounds and call those who make potions and sorcerers to our houses? 
What excuse are we going to have? And even if we do have big problems in our lives, big, like, really serious sicknesses and things, we have those examples that we don't do that. Because when we call, like, like um, his wife said, curse God, when we go to a magician because we can't take the pain or we want to get better, it's like we're cursing God, as we'll see as coming up. St. Nicodemus writes, is there no other physician, he's saying to the Christians, is there no doctor nor any other source of assistance that you can go for healing when you are ill, a Christian, than to go to the devil or to a sorcerer? Why, why, why go there? Go, go to a doctor. Is not, then he goes on to the spiritual, is not Christ in whom you believe the only and ultimate physician? who, when he was on earth, cured so many thousands, even tens of thousands of sick people. Then St. Nicodemus quotes where it says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Now, but Christ is not on earth, but he is in the church. And just like when Christ was on earth, he healed, he also heals through the church and through the doctors. St. Nicodemus continues, and now that he has ascended to the heavens, does he not heal by his grace and help all of those who call upon him with faith? And the apostles, the martyrs, the hierarchs, the ascetics and other saints who have received grace and power from Christ to cure every kind of infirmity, are they, are they not countless physicians? Like we've got so many physicians in the church, in the persons of the saints. Is not the Holy Church of Christ a common hospital open to receive all of its children who suffer from various diseases both of soul and of body? When we say body, they also mean mind. And to comfort, assist and heal them through the services of blessing and Holy Communion. So here St. Nicodemus is saying that we have all the saints. But not only do we have the saints, we also have the church's blessings, the prayers, what? The holy water, sir, holy water. People can drink holy water, that's for healing. Holy unction, a maleben, or in Greek, paraklesis, where we do prayers to a saint. And we also got prayers for the sick, specific prayers for the sick. Prayers before an operation, prayers after an operation, prayer for a woman that's going to give birth, prayer for, for a prayer, prayers for a woman after she gives birth. And holy communion also heals. So what I did now is I went through and I went to all those little, to those services and prayers and just found a little part for all of you to see. Prayers before Holy Communion. Let's see what it says there. And let these holy gifts be unto me for my healing and purification and enlightenment and protection and salvation and sanctification of both soul and body unto the averting of every fantasy an evil deed and diabolical operation working noetically in my members. This is what Holy Communion does. It gives healing of soul. It gives healing of body and mind. It sanctifies us. It, it gives us protection. It helps us to be rid of the fantasies that demons come, it says here, and the averting of every fantasy, I mean the stopping of the fantasy, which the... We're, and, an evil deed and diabolical operation 
working noetically in my members. Prayers after communion. It says, one part, But, O man, befriend in master, who didst die for us and rise again, and didst grant us these thy dread and life-creating mysteries for the benefit and sanctification of our souls and bodies. See, communion is not just for the soul, for the body. Grant also that these may be unto me for the healing of both soul and body, for the averting, the prevention, in other words, of every hostile power, for the enlightenment of the eyes of my heart, etc., etc., Look at all the benefits that people receive from communion. And yet people commune once a year, twice a year, three times a year. People should be communing every few weeks. And if you can't, if you're not at that position to commune every couple of weeks, then get yourself into that. If it's some sin that's stopping you, get rid of the sin so that you can commune often. Holy water that this water may be for healing for souls and bodies and may drive away all the power of the adversary, let us pray to the Lord. That's what the priest says while he's blessed in the holy water. So it's for healing of soul and body, for protection from the devil, for sanctification of the house. Holy unction. I'll read you the prayer which the, when, when the priest blesses the oil. It says, O Lord, in your mercy and compassion, you heal the afflictions of our souls and bodies. Sanctify now this oil, and the priest then blesses the oil, O Master, that it may bring healing to those who are anointed with it, relief from every passion, even for passions, from every sickness of flesh, meaning the body and spirit, and from all evil, so that your holy name may be glorified of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit now and ever and unto the ages of ages. Amen. That's the holy unction. There's a lot of prayers. Always referring to healing of both, both soul and body and also protection from the demons, etc. So, then there's a prayer which is for the sick. I, I, I just picked one of them. The priest says, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. He puts the petrahili on the person's head, puts his hand on the person's head, then and says, O Lord our God, who by your word alone healed all diseases, who did cure the mother-in-law of Peter, who you, sorry, you who chastise, in other words, discipline, with pity and heal according to your goodness, who are able to put aside every malady, disease, and infirmity, do you yourself the same Lord. Grant aid to this your servant, and the priest blesses the person, say the name, and cure him, her, of every sickness of which he, she is grieved. Lift him, her, up from his or her bed of pain. Send down upon him, her, your great mercy. And if it be your will, I love that part, and if it be your will, give to him, her, health and a complete recovery. For you are the physician of our souls and bodies, and unto thee do we send our glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, now and ever unto the ages of ages. What do you have to go to our magicians for? What do you have to go to mediums and psychics? What do you have to go to the Reiki people? What do you have to do all these crystals and put them on our head? Why are all these things necessary? You go to the doctor and you go to the church. When people come and say they're sick, We'll say, yes, we can do commemorations. Yes, have holy oil, holy water, do this, do that. We can read the prayers. What I've noticed is that you do the prayers and a lot of times 
the person gets better from the doctor because the doctor was enlightened from the prayers. Now, we all know that a lot of them are dopey. And I don't mean to be rude. They, some of them are completely out of it. You go to them and they can't help a lot of times. They get mistakes. They make mistakes with medications, which is all they know what to do. I've got certain sicknesses. I've gone to six specialists. Oh, I've accepted now that I'm not going to get better. And they themselves said, we can't help you. That's okay. But other people, I've noticed that with the prayers, is that you'd be surprised that the doctors can be enlightened. That's why there's a prayer before an operation, which I love reading for people. It's a prayer before an operation. One part of that prayer says uh, the priest is, is, is asking God to guide the hand of the surgeon during the operation. Surgeons, even unbelievers, have actually said that they felt that there was some type of unseen thing that was helping them to do some complicated surgery which they themselves said was very difficult or that could not turn out well. So, the prayers are very, very important. I should actually... Um... So you don't tell people don't go and have an operation even though... Uh, that's you know that's not that's not safe, is it? Because you don't know they can have a they can have a a problem, and then all of a sudden you get blamed. So we got here um, before an operation. It says, "Our Lord Jesus Christ, our God, who patiently endured the scourge and wounding of your most holy body, so that you might save the souls and bodies of your people, look graciously, we beseech you, upon the suffering body of this your servant." And the priest blesses the person and strengthen him or her to endure patiently whatever you shall see fit to lay upon him or her. Bless the means, this part I like, bless the means employed for the working out of his or her cure. Bless the means. Bless the doctors. Bless the medication. Bless the operation. Bless the surgeon. Help in, in, in these things. Uh, bless the, the means employed for the working out of or her cure, granting that he, she may so endure his, her sufferings in the flesh, that the wounding of his or her body may serve for the correcting and salvation of his or her soul. I love that part, see, that, the, that this pain that they're going through may be for the correction and salvation of their soul. For yours it is to show mercy and to save, O Christ our God, and unto thee do we send up glory, together with your eternal Father and your most holy, good and life, grand spirit, now and ever, not the ages of ages. Amen. There's prayers after an accident for one injured in body. There's a prayer after an attempted suicide. There's prayers for those who can't sleep. They've got insomnia. There's prayers after thanksgiving for recovery. There's prayers thanksgiving for relief through surgery. So many things. But no, people run there. Anyway. St. Nicodemus continues, I call out to Christians who are sick. Are there not people in your orthodox faith and in the church in which you believe who can, who can be a source of healing and help? How much has Christ or the cross of Christ accomplished? Asks Chrysostom. It has destroyed death, the cross. 
it has extinguished sin, it has rendered Hades useless, it has undone the power of the devil. Is the cross not trustworthy in providing healing for the body? But the cross has given salvation to the whole of mankind and now the, the, you run into other places when isn't the cross powerful enough to heal you if God wants? How then can your heart endure your rejecting God in whom you believe and going to the accursed devil? How can you renounce the most sweet Jesus Christ, your maker, your redeemer, your true physician, and go to the murderer of mankind, the tyrant, your enemy? How can your soul stand that you despise so many saints, your friends, benefactors, and physicians who are above all other physicians, above the doctors in other words, and turn to revolting magicians and unclean demons, your worst enemies? How can you accept leaving Christ's holy church, your mother, and running to diabolical synagogues and to the dwellings of demons and sorcerers? I think back in the old days, I think some Jews were involved in magic. I'm not, I'm not sure what that reference synagogue means, but I think somewhere along the line, some Christians used to go there to, for magic purposes. Is Christ not a match for a drunken old hag or gypsy? Because a lot of Greeks used to go to gypsies and Turks. Do the cross holy water and the other soul-saving and therapeutic mysteries of our faith not have as much power as coals, charms and diabolical amulets. I think magicians sometimes use different things. Sometimes they use lead. I think in this case he's saying coals. Must have used charcoal or something. Anyway, in their potions, whatever they do, in their magic. Charms and diabolical amulets. Are you saying that they've got more power? So St. Nicodemus goes on and says, O ungrateful creatures, O faithless and hard-hearted generation, where are the thunderbolts from heaven? Where are the earthquakes and the deep pits to burn you up, to bury you and to swallow you alive? See, why is he speaking like that? Because he's speaking like that in pain and he's calling out just like you would do to your child if you saw your child go, what are you doing who are those people you're hanging around with? Be careful, because you get, once you take those drugs or something, you can get hooked or become an alcoholic. Or if you do something, you could go to jail and destroy your life. Don't people speak like that? Don't speak like That's what he's speaking. And he's actually using um, threats as well to show to the people how bad it is to do these sins. That's how the saints speak. Don't get this idea, this demonic philosophy which exists in the church today. Shush. The priest only says sweet words. The priest only speaks gentle. If you want that, don't come here. I speak gentle. I speak harsh. And I'll speak whatever way I like, as long as I am helping the per a person for their salvation. Rightly, therefore, rightly does Jesus Christ loudly complain about you that no other race has forsaken God as you Christians have. Christians, in other words, orthodox Christians who should know the truth 
have forsaken God. And that's why we read about the Pharisees back in those days. They were the true believing. They believed in the true God. And yet they were hypocrites. And God hates more than anything else hypocrisy. Better to be cold or hot. But to be lukewarm, it says in, the, in, in, the, in, in Revelations, God vomits you out. Nothing is worse than a hypocritical Christian. Ones who say, I believe, I do my cross, I go to church and I go to, the, to these places as well. Rightly does he complain that heaven and earth tremble because you Christians have abandoned him, meaning God, the fountain of life and health, and have sought after the waterless pits of sorcerers and gypsies. Rightly does Christ cry out that, even though he has given you spiritual rebirth through holy baptism and made you his children, you despise your father on account of some minor infirmity and go to magicians and demons, your enemies. Therefore, in order that Jesus Christ not be grieved because of you and say such things, and in order that you may not appear ungrateful to such an exceptional benefactor, my brothers and sisters, stop going to wizards, witches, gypsies, sorcerers, and when you happen to fall ill, run to Christ with fervent faith and ask him to heal you, for he is ever your most loving father, and if he has given you a sickness, he has done so in order to test your patience, to crown you more, and to see whether you truly love him. Now, St. Nicodemus has not mentioned the doctors much. Why? St. Nicodemus lived in the time under the Turks. The Turks did not allow Greeks to be educated. Therefore, in villages, there a lot of times there was no doctors at all, no vets, no, none of those things. The priest was the doctor, the priest was the vet, the priest was everything. He was, he, the, they went to the priest for everything. So they had a problem with their fields, insects, they went to the priest. They didn't go to the horticulturist. If they had a sick person, they went to the priest. There were no doctors. The priest would do prayers. That's why he speaks so strongly on that. But we have doctors today. And therefore, we need to use the doctors as God has given us doctors. But you've got to be careful that when you go to a doctor, you're not going to someone who's telling you to do something which is wrong. Because they're starting to do things which are not properly medical. That's why even the, the, the Athenite saints, you read there, even Saint, even Elder Joseph, he says, D -d -d I'm not going to doctors. Didn't go to doctors. But at the end, he did change his mind. He saw that the doctors aren't bad. He actually didn't want. He actually used to say to his disciples, throw away your medication, have faith. Well, of course, there was no Turks in his time, but he just was negative towards doctors which, as I said at the end, he did change his mind. But during the Turkish occupation, uh, the Greeks only had the church and sorcerers, which people used to go to. Now, this is very important. To see what he says here, he says, for he, meaning God, if God is ever your most loving father, and if he has given you a sickness, he has done so in order to test you, to test your patience, to crown you more, and to give you more reward, and to see whether you truly love him. Then St. Nicodemus quotes from the Bible, from St. Paul, where it says, if you endure discipline, or in other words, if you endure correction, God deals with you as with a son, as sons. 
For what son is there whom a father does not discipline? In other words, endure hardships as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their own father? If worldly fathers discipline their children for the good of the children, how much more will God discipline us through trials, sicknesses, etc.? Although, St. Nicodemus says, he disciplines, in other words, although he corrects you, reprimands you, and sometimes slaps you in a fatherly way for your sins, yet he heals you again and embraces you as his children when you return to him in repentance and seek his help with all your heart. Like beautiful things. So yes, God slaps through sicknesses, through death, through tragedies, through war. See what happened in America? Money, money, all money, money. But when that thing happened to 9-11, they were running to the church. Churches were full. When there was droughts here in Australia and they were thinking about recycling the sewerage so we can drink sewerage, they were, people were running to the um, to asking God for, for, um, to help give rain. They couldn't do anything all their science, all their books, all their universities, they couldn't make a drop come from the sky. And then all of a sudden you see, oh God, you know, if God wishes, God this, God, God, all the time. See? Slap, and it helps people to come. That's why this thing that we shouldn't have give any pain or discomfort to our children is actually wrong. Because those children, when they do get slapped later on, they can't cope. I don't mean to slap children in the face. I mean discipline. Blessed is the one whom God corrects. So do not despise. In other words, do not reject the discipline of the Almighty. For he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also heal. In other words... He causes a man to be in pain. God causes a man to be in pain and restores him again, said Job chapter 5, line 17 to 18. He, he learned that from his own experience of all the sufferings he went through. Yes, God gives us the pain, but he also later on heals. And if he doesn't heal our body, at least we get our souls healed so that we can live eternally in paradise rather than in hell. St. Nicodemus continues, In your infirmities run also to Our Lady, the Theotokos, her who after God is the physician of the ailing and the consolation of those in pain. Run to all the saints if you beseech them with faith, you will receive the desired cure of your illness. And I went to the canon of the Mother of God, the small suppository canon to the Most Holy Theotokos, and it says there in one part, from the great abundance of all my sins, ill am I in body, sick also am I in soul. Thee have I, ha thee have I as a refuge. Do thou therefore help me, a hope of all the hopeless, for thou art full of grace. See, because of our sins, we are ill in body and ill in soul. So the mother of God, we run. To the saints, we run and to the doctors. Um, but ultimately, we, we trust that God is the one 
if we do get better by medication, if we do get better by herbs, if we do get better by a doctor or an operator, the way it is and the way the saints teach, ultimately it's God who allowed that through the doctor. And if he wants, he can also make someone better without the doctor. But for humility's sake, it's better to go to a doctor because you can't stay home like St. Joseph stayed in his, in his Isikasterio there and he said there and he goes, oh, we'll just get better from God. He was a hesiker. He was like a, a recluse. Um, and he, well, he did that, but he didn't fall into pride. As for us, imagine now us that we've got a, an ailment and we say, um, a woman says, oh, I've got a lump on my breast. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to do the example of St. Macrina, the sister of St. Basil, where she wouldn't go to the doctor. And that she stayed home. When her mother urged her to go, if I remember correctly, and then she, from her faith, St. Macrina noticed that the, that, the, that the lump had gone. She got better. So as not to fall into pride, she said to her mother, Mother, you put your hand there, because her mother was more advanced spiritually, you put your hand on my breast and do a prayer. And then I'll get better, which, which of course she was already better, but she did that so as to protect herself from pride. Now, for us, imagine if we had that. Imagine now today a woman who watches some soap operas there, and then she decides one day she's going to pray and ask God to take away the lump and not to go to the doctor. What, what, what pride would that woman fall into? Or the man who's got some problem? Possibly he's got prostate cancer, some other problem. He's got a big growth somewhere there. Could be liver cancer. I'm not going to go. Why should I go? I'll stay home. I'm going to pray. And let's just say, for argument, they get better. So they get better from the cancer, and then they fall into the worst of them all, which is worse than cancer, diabolical pride. Look at me, I got better. I didn't even have to go to the doctor. That's why we do the humble way. God wants us to go to the doctors. And when there's no doctors, which has happened, when there's no doctors, we can then pray directly to God if God wants to make us better. And if we do, that's because we had no one. If, however, you do not receive the health you desire, but God permits you to be corrected, for thus it is proper for your soul, you should stand brave and firm in the faith and prefer to die 10,000 times than to call on wizards or witches, thereby denying the faith of Christ and betraying piety. So I said, even if you don't get better, from the saints, from the doctors, whatever, don't uh, go and run to those places. Just say, well, I prefer to die. I will not give up my faith. I will not blaspheme God. I will not go to these people. But if others, either relatives or friends, urge you to do this, in other words, your friends or relatives or husband or wife or children or grandparents or whatever come along and say, go, 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 you're sick. You know, you, you have to go. You're young or you're this. or you've got to, Look, you're a woman, you've got three children, you've got to take care of them. You have to go and get better, go to these places. Be on your guard, says St. Nicodemus, for the love of God against obeying them and be assured that for your patient endurance and your greatness of spirit one number one god will grant you the crown of martyrdom number two your conscience will rejoice and be glad so much more than if you had received your health true health number three people will praise you with great words 
for not, you know, for not going. And four, you will from now on and forevermore receive the healing of your infirmity. The golden pen of St. John assures you of all these things. So, there are four points there which the saint brings up. Before we hear the explanation of these four points, I think it's good to see what's the attitude of the saints on sickness. And I picked a couple of points, like we have Saint Porfirios. He used to say about himself, I thank God for granting me many illnesses. He had a lot of illnesses. That's on talk number uh, 19, the life of Elder Porfirios. Yep, 19. And he, he had so many sicknesses. He had a lot of pain. I thank God for granting me many illnesses. I'm in great pain, but my illness is something very beautiful. It is on account of my sins I am sinful, and God is trying to purify me. And because he suffered so much, that's why God was able to give him many gifts of clairvoyance and healing others. He healed others, but, he couldn't, but God didn't want him to be healed. So to protect him, he needed those sicknesses to give him more crowns as a martyr, but not only that, but also to protect him from falling to pride. Elder Paisio said, used to say, when the body is suffering, then the soul is sanctified. It would be a great honour if Christ permitted me to suffer more for his love as long as he gives me courage to endure. He had a lot of sicknesses too. He suffered a lot. And yet he's saying here that he wishes that God to give him more sufferings as long as he endures. Why are these people speaking like this? This is all wrong. It's all now health, health, health. Everything's to do with health. All to do with the heart. And you've got to watch out for your heart. You've got to watch out for the cholesterol. You've got to watch out for your blood pressure. This is all, this is all showing that you're going to have a stroke or whatever. So have a heart attack one day. So let's go on. Number three. From Family Life, Book 4, Elder Paisius used to say, a person who is completely healthy is not really well. It would be better if he had some health problems. Speaking for myself, I benefited more from my illness than I had benefited from the ascetic struggle I had carried out until then. Elder Paisius is saying that even though, as a monk, he did a lot of struggling, a lot of prostrations, a lot of fasting, which is what we're all supposed to do, um, but the monks and nuns especially, he said he received more spiritual benefit from his sicknesses than what he did from all those years of his intense fasting and his prostrations and prayers, etc. This is, this is why I say that if a person has no obligations, he should prefer an illness rather than total health. What does he mean by obligations? For example... A woman who has to take care of her children or a man who has to work for his family, uh, they should not wish on themselves to be unhealthy because they won't be able to take care of their family. But if a person hasn't got obligations, uh, as he didn't, then, uh, and others, so might be, they say it's better to be somewhat sick rather than to be completely healthy. Those who have families uh, substitute for their um, sicknesses by... They get benefit from their suffering when they're bringing up their children and things like that, which is a big, big, which is very difficult. 
they also receive help because that's painful as well. He owes a debt because of his health. See, a, a person who's healthy owes a debt. He owes God and says because God has given him health, not that God owes him. But, but, but because of an illness when endured with patience, he will have something to receive from God. When I was in the monastery, a very old saintly bishop named Yerothos, who was living ascetically in the skeet of Saint Anna, came to visit one day. At, that, at the time of his departure, as he was mounting his animal like on, on the mule, the donkey, his trousers were pulled up, revealing his swollen legs. The fathers who went to help him saw the swollen legs and were horrified at what they saw. He realised why they were horrified, because he was hiding it, didn't tell. I actually witnessed that too. There was a holy person in the monastery of Karakalu, one of the, one of the 20 monasteries of Manathos. I was a lay person, and there was a monk there, a priest monk, whose name was Matthew. Very old, he had a speech impediment, but he used to serve every day. So he would go to, little, to, a, to a chapel, get one monk from the monastery, and while the liturgy was going on in the main church, he had a special blessing to serve, because in the monasteries only one priest serves during the ordinary days. And they have turns, like one priest serves for the week, then the next week another priest will serve, except for feast days and Sundays, they all serve. But this particular priest monk was, was very holy and he wanted to serve every day. And they couldn't let him serve every day because they had to give the priest other. So he would go to a chapel in the monastery and he would serve. And I went, I was once blessed to actually be at one of his services. And um, no people, no glory, no nothing, just him, God and one chanter. And after the service, I heard someone speaking around the corner from, from when I was walking. And I go, who's speaking over there? And I walked over and I saw him there. He was speaking to himself, but I think he was praying. He was talking, I don't know, I don't know what, but he was, it was like he was talking to himself, but obviously he wasn't. He was either praying or speaking, I don't know. Anyway, and he was there and he had his feet up on a chair. Why didn't he go to bed? Because some, some of these saints, they don't, they don't, like St. John, he never slept in a bed. He must have done the same because he could have went and lied down, but he didn't lie down because sometimes they get attacked, uh, especially after you commune and the service. So he decided to sit on this chair, this wooden chair, and he had his feet up. And when his feet were up, his, the rasa were up, and I saw his, his legs all with wounds, all full of wounds from standing for long periods of time in prayer and in church in the services. And this is what this man here, he had these, these really bad... And he, so when the father saw it, they were horrified. And when he realised that they were horrified, he said to them, these are the best gifts given to me by God. I pray that he, he not take them away. So, these are the best gifts given to me by God. He was, a, he was obviously a retired bishop, very old. So he didn't need his legs to rule his diocese because he didn't have a diocese. He had no responsibilities as such. And God had given him this, allowed this sickness to occur. And he said, these are the best gifts given to me by God. I pray that he not take them away. 
And another example from Elder Paisios, the last one, Yeronda, does illness have, does illness always help people? Yes, it always helps a lot. Illnesses help people to find the mercy and forgiveness of God when they do not have virtues like us. See, what virtues do we have? Not much. Do we pray much? No. Do we fast much? No. Do we have much virtues? No. So what happens is that God, to help us, because we don't have many virtues, if at all, gives us sickness so that we can also receive God's forgiveness. See, through sickness, we receive forgiveness. Health is a great gift, but the good provided by illness cannot be obtained through health. True. I've, I've experienced that myself. Most of the time, I'm sick. It's very rare, maybe a little bit, sometimes I might be a little bit better, which is rare. But when, when, when I am, it's like I'm a different person. It's like um, I go to the stage where it's like there's nothing there. It's like you're just missing something. You lack faith. Your mind starts to go, right? starts to fantasise. You start to forget about God. It is great benefaction, very great. It cleanses us from sin and sometimes even earns us wages. The soul of a person is like gold and illness is like the fire which purifies it. You see, even Christ said to St Paul, my strength is made perfect in weakness. The more one suffers trials and tribulations through illness, the more he is purified and sanctified, as long as he is patient in his illness and accepts it with joy. You can't have illness, say, oh God, give me illness so I can be given benefits, and then sit there with, with a sour face and saying, woe to me, why has this happened? It says that we have to have joy and patience in the illness for it to, have, give, to give us uh, help. Some people will say, I'm, you know, I'm sick, I can't do prostrations, I can't do fasts, I can't sometimes go to church, I can't do things that I want to do because I'm sick. And I, and, and, I, and, I, and I say to those people, listen to what the fathers say, that a sickness is above, a sickness endured with patience is above everything else. Some illnesses need only a little patience and God permits them in order to give a person some wages and take away some of his shortcomings. This is because a physical illness can aid the healing process of a spiritual illness. A physical illness can aid the healing process of a spiritual illness. What is the biggest spiritual illness we have? Who knows? It's the, it's, it's the worst. Pride. We all suffer from pride. It's in us. And people, we can actually see the pride in us. We can see it's happening to us and we still can't stop a lot of times. We get pride, proud for, it, for, for, for anything. And God comes along, gives us some afflictions, some sicknesses, some problems, and then, whether, then we are humbled. That's why the saints preferred sickness because it was easier to, hum, to be humble than when they were healthy, where they can become proud even from their prostrations. 
or from their fasting, the devil comes along. Ooh, look how much you're fasting. Look at all your prostrations that you're doing. You're doing 150 people in the world, wouldn't it? Or 200 or 300. So they can get proud. But then God allows sicknesses, persecutions, slanders, afflictions to happen, wars, to, to give humility. And then it's easier to be humble. The spiritual sickness is neutralised by the humbleness brought by physical illness, which includes mental, by the way. Mental is very, very difficult. Mental illness is very humbling. I've had people where I've tried to help and they say, look, you know, the pride in you is really bad. And they say, what pride? I'm not proud, I'm not proud. And, you know... Um, and I tried to help for many years some people to actually say, you need to humble yourself, be careful. You know, God resists the proud. In other words, God cannot come near the proud person. You are shooing God away from you. You're shooing your guardian angel away from you when we do, when we're proud. And the person just wouldn't budge. She's still self-willed, high opinion of themselves. They're always correct always fighting back, always contradicting, like, like a demon, like Elder Paisius actually says, those people are like demons. And then I say to myself, I think um, a sickness or some mental problem or demonic problem, it's going to be the only way to help that person. Then they get a mental illness, something like that, and lo and behold, we see some humility. We've struck gold, finally. See, some people say, oh, my child's got demonic problems. Whoa, 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 what's, what's happening? It's really bad. And I said, yes. What's, what's, goes, then they got, I said, that could be good. Could be good for them because that will help them realise that in the church, because a lot of times people that have got demonic problems, they feel, they feel relief only in the church because it's not a mental problem. They go to the church, they feel relief with communion, they feel relief when they have prayers read, they feel relief, and those people at the end become re very, very religious people. See, so a demonic problem, God allowed St. Paul to be tormented by a demon for his humility. And St. Paul says, God allowed Satan to buffet me, to, to cause this pain, whatever, whatever it was, some problem that he had, was a demonic problem, so as to protect him because of all the visions he had seen and all the big miracles that he had done. So God allowed that to happen. We have saints who were tormented with demonic influence so as to protect them. Mental problems or demonic problems or physical problems. It can be anything. God knows what's the best for us. Everything that he permits, here it is, God utilises all things for good. Everything that he permits is for our spiritual advantage. He knows what each one of us needs. So he provides an illness for us, either for us to be rewarded or pay off some, some debts of sins. So beautifully written, and that's in volume number four. See the things that you read when you get the right books? When you don't read just um, books that are not your level? These are the books that people should be reading. Now, we were, I promised that I'm going to, after I read those examples, I'm going to go through the things that, that St. Nicodemus says. Number one, if you patiently endure sickness and resist the help of sources and demons, God will crown you as martyrs. 
For just as the martyrs endured their torments simply to avoid worshipping idols, so you endure the pains of your illness simply to avoid requiring the assistance of sorcerers and demons and to avoid betraying the faith and love of Christ. This, I love this example because this is true. So much, it's, 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 such a, it's, so, it's so well put. We read the lives of the martyrs where they were tortured and said, you give up your faith for Christ and we will let you go. We'll give you rewards, we'll give you positions, we'll give you glory and money or whatever. Some, of course, said, yes, I will do that, lost their souls. But others, most of them said, no, I'm not giving up my, my, I'm not going to give up my faith in Christ just to get your stinking money for a few years and glory and then to die and lose my soul eternally. St. John Chrysostom on this, he says, have you fallen into a serious illness? And do many people come forcing you, pressuring you to lessen the evil that has fallen on you, some by spells, others by amulets, and others by other means? Have you resisted it courageously and firmly because you fear God? And have you chosen to suffer all things rather than to submit to committing an act of idolatry? Because it's like, going, it's like, you're on, like committing idolatry when you go to these places. This earns you the crown of martyrdom. Do not doubt it, says St. John Chrysostom. For just as a martyr bravely endures the pain of the tortures so as not to worship an idol, so also you endure the pain of your disease so as not to need any of the remedies that he, one of the well-pleasing friends, in other words, mentioned that we said, like relatives, friends, whatever, suggests or do anything that he advises. Don't listen and you will be you'll be recognised the same as the martyrs who in their torture didn't deny God. And if someone is, in, is being tormented by pain and he doesn't deny God by going to those places or asking someone to do something, he's considered a martyr. Now, there's a few other martyrs around the world today. A woman, for example, who's pregnant. And she can have an abortion so easily, in and out. You can even take a pill. Maybe she fell with someone. It's embarrassing. She doesn't want to marry that person, but she says, I can't do this. This is against God's law. Or they've already got a couple of children. They can't afford another one. Or people are going to say, what are you doing? What are you? Like, are you um, like, um, like a Muslim? You're having all these kids. Or you are, what are you, like a cat? You're just having babies continually. And the woman says, no, I'm not going to do that. Because it's against God's law. Martyr. Parents. Number two, parents. Who have knowledge that certain schools produce good results, better discipline, just to say, and get better results, like the heterodox schools, Catholic schools, Protestant schools, private schools, those ones. But they have to send their child to these places where they have to go to their churches as part of the school uh, system and learn their religion in, in their classes, religious classes, that the Pope is the head, that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son and say the creed wrong, and the kids that go young, they come back and they go all mixed up. And a parent who says, I'm, I don't, I'm not going to give up my children's souls 
to learn heresy, which cuts them off from God, and give my money to the, to the Pope or to the Protestants to teach my children, supposedly so they can become better and get better jobs or better education. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that and for my child to be destroyed because, as the saints say, heresy cuts us off from God. But parents do do that. Parents do do that. Even religious parents. And even, to my pain, and I I, I find it really hard to say, Orthodox priests send their children to these heretical schools. I don't even want to go on more about that because it's so disturbing that I just let's go on to the next one. Number three, some people who say I'm not going to go to my brother-in-law or to my cousins or to my the wedding or to a birthday party because they're going to have these drunken music and satanic stuff and ACDCs or devil stuff. I'm not going to go. And even though the relatives are going to go against, I remember one one um. One, some cousins, someone, it was a brother and sister, and their cousin was getting married. And they were going to have all that satanic stuff there at the wedding. So they went to the church, but they wouldn't go to the reception. And the parents of this brother and sister would go, no, no, it's embarrassing. What are you doing? They go, no, we don't want to go. And there was all this problem. They said, we're not going. Martyrs. Adultery. Today, for people to commit adultery, it's like buying a packet of chips from the shop. It's so easy. There's websites, anonymous adultery. There's so much out there. It's so easy today. A a married couple who can get through this life in this day and age where it's, as I said, as easy as buying a packet of chips, a married couple who resists to fall and, and, and destroy their betray their marriage vows and does not fall into adultery, they are, and God bless them, martyrs. Women who refuse to work so they can take care of their children, even though they're put down for that. They don't want to send, they've got the right, they don't want to send their children to daycare. They don't want to send their children uh, to be taken care of by others. They don't want to, they want to be there at home with their children. But they're put down, even the previous government were putting them down and said, no, 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 you've got to go and work. And we had people there, some feminist couple, and goes, oh, those women, they're bludgers, they don't do anything. Martyrs. And the last one, there's many examples, a person today to have many children. As I said earlier on, to be made fun of, to be mocked, to be looked at in disgust. There's a lot of times that. And, and who are the worst enemies of women having children? Other women. They're the worst. They're the ones. Are you, are you pregnant again? Yeah, I am. Any objections? Yes, I am. And you see the orthodox women. Oh, there's no light coming from them. The Muslim women actually look more radiant. Oh, he's an ecumenist. Look, he's putting up the Muslims. The truth is the truth. They have seven, eight children, because that's what they believe is God's will, which it is, 
and they look the same age as their children. While the Orthodox women, with their contraceptions and abortions and everything else, look, they could be 25 years old, they could be 30 years old, and they look 300 years old. There's nothing on them of any osiotitas, we say, is that the right Greek word? There's nothing spiritual about them. And it's embarrassing that there are Protestants who take it seriously and they say that this is God's will and that's what they do. There's one woman over there in America, she's got 19. And when I showed someone once, the woman, they go, oh, is that one of the daughters? I go, no, that's the mother. The, the, someone said, is that the one of the daughters? I go, no, the mother. She just, she's the one that's had 19 children. And she looks young. And you, got, and you put an Orthodox woman in there and it looks like something from a supernatural movie of the living dead or something. It's not, it's not, it's actually, I'm not even trying to make a joke. It's actually revolting. Now, some of you might say, that's offensive. That's what I'm trying to be. That's what I want to do. I want to shock people. It's embarrassing. The two children. The two, I don't know how they do it. And it's usually one boy, one girl. I don't know how they do it. The one boy, the one girl. How many children do you have? Two. One boy, one girl. I don't know. Maybe if they do the IVF, they can do that too now. Number two. If you patiently endure sickness and resist the help of sorcerers and demons, your conscience will rejoice, for your thoughts within you will praise you for, setting, for acting as true and faithful servants of Christ and as athletes and for proving so brave that you prefer to be tormented by fever and wounds than to accept satanic spells and amulets. And John Christom on that, he says, even if you have a fever, even if you suffer countless afflictions and misfortunes, if you drive away those abominable people, the sorcerers, you will be better off than anyone who is healthy. For your mind will rejoice, your soul will rejoice and be glad, and your conscience will praise you and express its approval, saying, well done, well done, O man, servant of Christ, faithful man, and athlete of piety. You will stand with the martyrs on that day, for you have chosen today to be tormented and afflicted by fever and wounds, so as to avoid submitting to wicked, blasphemous, in other words, magic spells or amulets, our conscience. Oh, when someone's done a sin, all of us, we all know, when we've done a sin, it's really bad. Our conscience, is, it, it kills us. Our chests are on fire. We cannot calm down. No medication. You can take as much Xanax as you want. You can take all the antidepressants that you want. It doesn't calm down the conscience. If you deny God by going to those places, your conscience will burn you. If you don't go, your conscience will rejoice and you will, you will receive grace and be, will be considered a martyr. Number three, if you patiently endure sickness and resist the help of sorcerers and demons, people will praise you because seeing how you have thrown magicians, old hags, and gypsies out of your home and have not accepted their magic spells and amulets, they will admire you and imitate your endurance. They will imitate your strength. And St. John Chrysostomon exactly says, for when you throw magicians out of your house with harsh insults, not, can you please leave? Because you have to be nice? Because that's what political correctness says? No, St. John Chrysostomon says, 
say, out of here. All who hear it, hear of it will praise and admire you. And they themselves become better and will follow your example and imitate your courage and you will be rewarded because you were the first to bring about the zeal. In other words, you're the one who made them to be more zealous in their stance against these demonic practices. Number four. If you patiently endure sickness and resist the help of source and demons, you will also receive your health, since God will love you more on account of the courage that you have shown, and the saints will pray to God more fervently to heal you. Yes, not always, of course, but most of the time, a lot people do get better. As long as they haven't gone to those places. St. John Chrysostom exactly says, they will follow not only praise for your achievements, but also the swiftest cure of your disease. This honourable choice that you made, this courageous decision that you made, will make God more favourable towards you. In other words, God will bless you millions of times. In addition, all the saints delighting, rejoicing in your stance, in your decision, will be praying for you from the depths of their hearts. I'm going to end with two quick examples of Elder Paisios. There was, much, there was more, but anyway, that thing, I think we've got the message. But these two examples are wonderful. Elder Paisios relates the following incident. Book, this is from book three. This is what I'm saying. He has wonderful examples that people need to read. A young man who had become friendly with a sorcerer also got involved in magic. He was harmed, got sick, and had to be hospitalised. That's what happens. You can go to these places, you can think you can get a bit better, but after a while, the, uh, when people say to me, they've gone, I go, yes, and did you get better at the beginning? They go, yeah. How'd you know? I go, yeah. And after that, because I went downhill. He was harmed, got sick and had to be hospitalised. His father, spending a lot of money since they didn't have any health insurance, struggled for months to find out from the doctors what was wrong with his son. But when it's demonic, the doctors, a lot of times, they don't know. But the doctors couldn't find anything wrong with him. The young man was in, was in a terrible state. At that point, this is what the devil did. He appeared to the young man as St. John the Baptist, the patron saint in his, in his village, and said to him, I will cure you if your father builds a chapel in my honour. Now, some of, some of you can ask, why is the devil telling him to build a chapel. Well, that's, that's from God. That, that's godly. Let's have a look. The young man told his father of his vision. The father said, He is my child. I will give everything I have for him to get well. He believed that, that, that this was from St. John the Baptist. And he vowed to build the chapel in honour of St. John the Baptist. Then the devil went away and the young man got well. Who caused the sickness in the first place? The demon. Who made the person better? The demon. Why? He left. He made him sick, then he left. They think that he got better because of St. John the Baptist. Then the devil went away and the young man got well. He performed his miracle, supposedly. He cured the sickness that he himself created, is my note there. Then the father said, I promised to build, the ch I promised to build a church, a chapel. I must fulfill my promise. They were not wealthy, so they had to sell all their fields and their entire property. Because of this, they were now destitute, homeless. 
And this brought on bitterness and anger, resentment to the whole family. What have I done? I've lost my property. I've, done, I've built this church. And now I've got, we've got nothing. We're in the streets. Then they said, the magic words, ready? Better to be without orthodoxy, they said in desperation. In other words, why be orthodox? Look, look, look at the, what, what orthodoxy has done for us. Better to be without orthodoxy, they said in desperation, and became Jehovah Witnesses. Then Peodo Paisio says, you see what the devil does. Apparently, there weren't any Jehovah Witnesses in that area, and the devil found a way to bring them, and there they were in the area, staunch, strong Jehovah Witnesses. All that that the devil did just to do that. And the second example, just as good, there are, there, are, there are also a few deceived individuals who cross the sick, mumble some prayers and supposedly heal them. The people are fooled and instead of going to confession or asking the priest to pray or perform the sacrament of holy unction, they go to these deceivers. In the meantime, they pay a great deal of money to them. I was told about two such deceiving individuals who worked up a scheme in a village. They planned this following. There's two, two men. For example, the devil would bring about in one of the villages a severe headache or a backache. So he created the backache or created the headache and would inform one of the deceivers. So you've got these two deceivers working together and the man over there is sick because of some sin and God allowed the devil to do that to him. That's another story, but anyway, he's sick. The devil tells them, because they're dealing with him, tells them, him, one of them, so-and-so has a severe headache for this reason. For whatever. Made up something. At the first opportunity, the deceiver would take the villager aside and tell him, and say to him, brother... God has told me, in other words, you know, like that. I know why you have a headache and would reveal the cause. My, what a true revelation the poor sick fellow would imagine, what, what he said to himself. This must be from God. How did he know I had a headache? Or how did he know I had a backache? And now, what must I do to be healed? Then the guy says, you must go to so-and-so, that's the partner now, you must go to so-and-so, he would say, and send him to the accomplice, to his partner. Do you see what the devil devised in order to keep the people in deception? Says Elder Paisios. He joined two deceived individuals to work together, one making the diagnosis and the other supposedly doing the healing, all in order, all in order to keep the poor people away from the church. When we don't have the knowledge of the church, when we're not close to the church, then these deceptions occur. And that's why you hear these Greeks, the Serbians and Russians and others and whatever. doesn't matter. They, there they go, oh, but they got better. Oh, they got this. They don't know. My husband had depression. And we went to whatever, to the medium, and now he feels better. But let someone who has a true depression go to them and see if they get better. 
Anyway, I think we've that was a good point to end with. I had a few more things. Um, doesn't matter. I think we got the message, didn't we? Any other questions? Vladimir, yes. Everywhere. Tarot cards. That's why you come to talks. That's why you read books, so that you can find out what's happening to protect yourself. And, and the other thing is, on that point, when people distance themselves from the church, people are speaking, when people distance themselves from the, talk, from the church, then the demons have, better, they have the better power to actually trick people because they haven't got the knowledge. See that woman that I said about the daughter? See, because she had been to the talk, she had read a little bit, she started to... Um, she had some doubts. She knew something wasn't right, and that's why she telephoned. And so many other people. That's why it's important for people to be... One guy came, okay, he's new, he didn't know much, and he said, uh, from the last talk, he goes, oh, you know, I've got a couple of points that were for me, and I said to him, that's wrong what you just said. He goes, but I don't do those things. It doesn't matter if you don't do them, but you, but you may do it. You might fall into, the, um, into, into temptation. You might be married. Your child is sick. You find that sometimes someone does something. If you see your own child dying and melting away, and then you get a thought, you might, in your vulnerability, start to say, okay, maybe I will go to Natasha with her crystal ball or do some type of... You don't know. We need knowledge. We also need to help others. That's why it's important to... Listen and learn and things like that. I was going to say, is it just a sign of the end times that it's getting so bad? Well, towards the end, there'll be more apostasy, correct? So wherever there's apostasy, then these things come in. So St. John Christum says, when the churches are empty, the jails are full and the hospitals are full. So let's add now. When the churches are empty, when people are distanced on from God, the sorcerers are making more money, and people are more interested in those things and believe in those things. That's the sign. A, a Christian would not do that. You can, I just read you some Bible quotes. You can't go to mediums. You can't converse with supposedly the dead. These things are an abomination to God and things like that. So if people read the Bible, why would they go? Obviously, they're not reading the Bible. Obviously, they're not doing a spiritual life. That's why they're more interested in these things. Ross. Um, this is a real obvious answer question, but I'll ask you there's a lot of charismatic churches that do healing and all that sort of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. uh, where do we put them? They're mediums. They're acting as mediums. They're, that, the way they act is similar to the way um, uh, people from Eastern religions act. They do the same thing. They go into the trance, they say, I'm going to speak in tongues. They go, blah, 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 and they start speaking in tongues, for example. Then they start going like, like, like crazy and convulsing, which is what they what, what possessed people do, and then they start doing these supposed healings. It's the same. What we read today, it's exactly the same. That's why Elder um, Father Father um, Father Seraphim gives a whole section on um, charismatics in this book and UFOs. That the, the UFOs is just demonic, it, and things like that. And that's what I read before. It can look like spiritual Christian gifts, but they're not. Because they use techniques 
the saints did not learn. Like these things that the Catholics do. For example, they say, because of the increase of Satanism in the world and satanic influence, which is true, they said that we have to now produce more priests who can do exorcisms. So they go to Rome and they sit in classes and don't laugh what I'm going to say. Can you imagine our elders, elder paesos and elders that were able to do exorcisms sitting in a class to learn how to do exorcisms? These are gifts given by God. You don't go and learn them. So they go in these places, their collars. They sit in there and they're learning how to do exorcisms. This type comes out with prayer and fasting. The Catholic Church has abolished fasting. Elder, Elder, um, I'm just reading now, Elder Joseph, how they, how they fasted. Like a piece of bread, dried bread. Fasting, like every day just eating a little bit. That's fasting. Yeah, he could do exorcisms. St John of Cronstein himself admits that he did a couple of exorcisms with success, but later on he says he couldn't do them. He actually says he couldn't do them. And he says the reason being is because he used to visit a lot of people, and when he would go and visit them, they would give him a little cake, a little some tea and some coffee and whatever they gave him, and he says that he couldn't keep that fast of an ascetic. And as a result of that, he could not do exorcisms. But yet he was doing great healings and that. So he wasn't given that gift. However, the church has the sacraments. So as a priest, I will not do exorcisms because I'll get attacked. What I'll do is I'll do what's given to me as a priest. Because remember, exorcism can be done even by a layperson if they've got authority over unclean spirits. But as a priest, we use our priesthood and we do Holy, give people Holy Communion, Holy Water, Holy Unction, and those things can help uh, even sometimes even better than exorcisms and all that. Yes? We don't say good luck. We say God bless, God help you. I sometimes say um, good luck by accident, just by habit, and I go, oh, it's no good. I've got to stop, I've got to say no. Uh, God bless. Uh, it's just like a habit because for all these years, that's, that's, we, that's how we used to speak. So we sometimes slip it out. We correct ourselves and say, you know, may God help you and, and, and things like that. We don't say good luck because that's a form of sorcery. Y yes? Sorry. Um, I've just heard something similar to what Ross asked. I've got an example. There's a priest in Melbourne who in a church actually had these metal things to check your aura. Oh, a Greek priest? Oh. And if it didn't move or something, he would say a prayer. And that was done in church where there were people. So is that orthodox or is that not? Just wait, because I'm scared I'm going to have a stroke. Um, so he holds some metal strips. And they move and he said it's something to do with an aura. And he mm. can tell if you've got a spell. And if you've got a spell on you, then with that stuff, he would say a priest, a mm. uh, prayer to remove it. Um, I find that overwhelming, painful, and... I can't even breathe from it. It's just really, really... It's not all, but it was done no. in a church, so it's a bit confusing. 
Saint Nicodemus actually says that there were priests who were ignorant and who had gone, you know, gone and delved into these things, who were even opening up the gospel and wherever it falls and then reading something and then from that interpreting and say that's what's going to happen to them. That's magic. And Saint Nicodemus forbade that. Now, there's a priest in America in the Greek archdiocese, for example, who got mixed up in the charismatic movement. And they believed that they were, that was from God. Now, why he wasn't banned, I don't know. Sometimes some bishops um, maybe they've um, kind of got Alzheimer's or something. Something's wrong with their minds. Something's wrong. And they see these things, they just can't work it out. Obviously, that's magic. You don't, you can't put medals and say, uh, you know, when someone comes to me and says, I've got this, I don't know. I say to them, I don't know. What's the symptoms? What's this? I'm still not sure. Have you gone to a psychiatrist? Have you gone to a doctor? Um, may, I'm not sure. Let's read some prayers. Let's, let's do liturgies. Have you confessed? And this and that. I don't say specifically, it's very hard for me to say specifically whether that's from magic or not. You know, because it could be, it could be mental. It could be mental illness. It could be, um, as, as Saint Nicodemus says, uh, Saint so Elder Paisius says, even a person who's suffering from ego, he can be possessed. He can be full of demons just from his ego, like um, like uh, Judas who couldn't repent, possessed. You see, so why is that person like that? Sometimes, as I said, I had one fellow who the mother came and she was saying um, that he's, um, he's, um, someone's done magic, someone's done magic. I just, sometimes I can't listen to those words, but anyway, someone's done magic on her son because he won't go out, he stays in his room, he's just on the computer all day, he won't work, he's getting fat and fat and fat because he eats all day, because someone's done magic. I asked a few questions and what happened was that this guy was pumped by the parents from young that, that he's the best and that he's going to play in, um, for Serbia for um, the World Cup, that he's that good. So he was pumped and pumped and pumped and pumped that he's going to become this great person. So when you do that to a child, it's like brainwashing. It's really very serious. You make them mentally ill. And, um, and, then, he, uh, and then what happened? You think he hurt his foot? Or his leg or his knee or something, he couldn't play anymore, and that to him devastated him. So uh, his problems came about from his ego that his fantasy was smashed, that he's going to become a World Cup player. No one done anything to him. He was mentally ill, pure and simply, mentally ill. And then what, what happens then is that the, the parents, then thinking that someone's done something to them, go to some magician get some stuff done. So then you've got the mental illness mixed with some demonic as well, and then you've got a really powerful cocktail, right, which is dangerous. So it's mixed. Sometimes it's even mixed. Sometimes it's mental, demonic. But, in, but a lot of people are mentally ill today. So did I answer your question? I forgot what it was. Okay. Okay, yes, last question. Just say it again, sorry? If we find ourselves in a place where there is a magician and we don't know about it, which prayer would you suggest we keep turning wrong in the place to live? 
Remember in, 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 in this book, Orthodoxy in the Region of the Future, Saint uh, Father Seraphim gives an example of a priest who somehow was on a boat, Orthodox priest, and he ended up being in a crowd that was going to see some uh, guru, but he never knew. Suddenly he was in this circle of people and there was this man who was all skinny, you know how they look over there? They're all skinny and all that type of stuff in some position that they think it's holy because they can hold their hand like that for years after year, like that, right? That's, that's it. They're holy because they have their hand like that. And um, they've got all these funny things that they do anyway. So this person was there and their eyes are demonic. Uh, saints don't look like that. Their eyes are like that. And therefore, he, all of a sudden, he started doing this... Um, he made to appear in the sky uh, in somehow the image of their boat the boat that they came in and the people and the people that were in this could actually see it and that was before there was film and um, and the people were amazed and they even saw that, I think it says that they even saw the monkey that was on the boat they could even see the monkey in this image and the old, the orthodox priest finally woke up and said okay this is not right I shouldn't be here and then he started to do the Jesus prayer within himself Lord Jesus Christ you know, blah, blah, blah. and all of a sudden it just dispersed and what happened then, as he was walking off, he turned around to the man, who was probably still having his hand like that, he turned around and the man and the, the, this guru thing was looking at him with such an evil look because he knew it was because of him that his tricks were dispersed. That's why I've, 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 many people have said to me, even people that aren't religious, people that aren't religious, and they say um, when they've been in situations where they've been scared, or even in their dreams when something happens and they get scared, some demonic thing or whatever, they say that they actually say, uh, without even being able to say, um, um, Jesus help me, or something like that, just comes to their head, which is the guardian angel. And then suddenly it says it goes away. And that a lot of times can be the start of them coming to the church. So you do prayers within yourself and get out of there. Okay, stand up. Through the prayers of a holy... Oh, yeah. Okay. It is truly me to call Yeah. Mm-hmm.